Thursday morning. Uh, week's kind of flown past, is it not, Kevin? Please tell me it's Thursday and I'm not wrong here. You know, it's definitely Thursday. Okay, good. Yeah, you've kind of had a busy week, part tour guide. <laughs> Here with the Australian crew, Chicago, right? Took him to yesterday. Chicago yesterday. Dropped him off at, um, I guess, milk a cow at Fair Oaks. You know, we went right past there. Uh, we we had a long discussion, probably a twenty-five mile discussion slash debate about how much energy is created by the windmills. Boy, and would there be more energy created if there were more windmills, or is it the same amount of energy? And it just just depends on how many places it's dispersed. I'm sure after that talk, they're counting down the days so they can visit Indiana again. And believe it or not, Michael brought that up. I did not. Uh, and he said, Jay, if you mention that on your radio show, I can't really do the Australian accent, but um, you, you'll have a lot of people talking about it. Okay. And then we got to Chicago. Daniela cried. Phone lines are going to light up, Mark, here in the next few minutes. So just Daniela, watch out for that. Daniela cried when I dropped him off, and then uh, I got back in the car and headed back. But You, you didn't do any... Uh tourism while you were there you just dropped him off that was it no, i'm not a, i'm not a chicago tour guide i go yeah I look for that water tower that's your opportunity. you kicked him out that's it <laughs> trips over you're on your own 72 no hours more you tim said tom's in the car right or Those tom tim tim tams what did you think of the tim tams terrific yeah. outstanding nine what i say 9.6 I fantastic it. before i put the vegemite on it i that played was for them the audio of that part. segment and so they assured me there will be a large box of australian goodies on the way here Ooh, okay large box on the way here uh, a busy of- day for you <clears throat> yesterday yeah it was wednesday like i was saying to you yesterday wednesday's kind of my busy day <clears throat> you know the colts get back to work so i was up there at west 56th street um a rather long and notable wednesday injury report that we can go over um yeah, I tend to think like injury reports, Jake. Wednesday, the first injury report of the week, to me, that's just like, all right, what do you need to monitor the rest of the week? Like, it's not overly alarming, but it's just like, oh, that popped up during the game. That popped up during the game. This guy's dealing with that. Um, and there's a lot of it, frankly, for the Colts right now. The Thursday injury report is more like if you miss two practices to start a week, that's where I think – the antennas start to go up there. So we'll definitely cover that. Uh, we have a lot of guests on the show today. Yesterday we looked at a big one for the Hoosiers in Lincoln on Saturday night. Um, Purdue's got a quarterback injury situation that they obviously are monitoring, but it's an important one for them if they want any hope. And, you know, we talked about it leading to that Penn State opener. You know, can you get to November and have a chance – in the Big Ten West. I thought that was very doable for Purdue looking at this schedule. You blow the week one game, your first Big Ten game, and now here you are, and Aiden O'Connell's health seems to be very much up in the air. And you're playing a Minnesota team. Jake, they're a 12-point favorite over Purdue on Saturday. Yeah, Minnesota's good. I mean, they're off to a great start. Uh, This is what they wanted and thought of P.J. Fleck when they hired him, of him getting Minnesota to this point, and they may be the front-runner to win the West, right? I mean, row, row your boat down White River. That's right. right? That's right. Row in the boat, baby. Has Minnesota ever been here for the Big Ten title game? I would venture to guess no. That is a good question. I don't believe so. Now, Northwestern made a visit, right? Was it last year? Or was that the COVID year? Northwestern's been here. Nebraska's been here. Wisconsin's been here. Ohio State's obviously been here. Iowa. Iowa's been here. Yep. So, yeah, we'll have Tom Deanhart on at 8 o'clock. Scott Agnes's weekly appearance at 8.30 in the 9 o'clock hour, 
a lot towards Sunday's matchup between Tennessee and Indianapolis. It'll be Teron Davenport from ESPN.com getting the Titans uh, side of things. And Zach Kiefer to round out the show today. I don't know if you saw Zach's latest on The Athletic, but it was a reminder of how much Jim Irsay has this game circled on the schedule. More so or less than he did Jacksonville? I would say more so. You know, think really? about Ursay's history in this division, Jake. Realignment occurred in 2002. The Colts dominated the AFC South for the first, gosh, decade. And then maybe even longer than that. I guess you won in 2013 and 2014 with, with luck. And then you haven't won it since. And I think if there's a team, especially over the last three or four years, that's been your biggest issue within the division – it's been the Titans. I'm sure there's an element, and I'm putting words in Jim Irsay's mouth, but I'm sure there's an element of Mike Vrabel, Frank Reich. They both were hired at the same time, and Vrabel and the Titans have had more success than we have had. And I think that the— And they interviewed Vrabel, which probably adds to that. You know, oftentimes when we talk about the Colts, Kevin, and it is a weakness of mine probably, but you and I represent kind of two eras of Colts coverage, right? Sure. So I kind of default a lot of times back to the first one, that I, the first era when I was around it. And I know that's probably a weakness because, you know, Edron James ain't walking through that door. But I've always wondered in terms of the Tennessee Colts rivalry and angst, even though what I'm about to mention predated a decade of Colts dominance over Tennessee, when Tennessee starts to rise up again, how much does it reawaken in Jim Irsay the ghosts of or the angst of seeing your franchise host a playoff game in your, at that time still, relatively new city 15 years in, being super excited about it and seeing this other franchise come in and bring a ton of its fans and beat you? And you're referencing 1999. Correct. Colts are what, 13-3? and three? And host the Titans and Eddie George is still running loose? Correct. Eddie George was looking up at the Jumbotron to see if anybody was behind him while running to the end zone. Yeah, I, I honestly think that is something um, that probably weighs on Ursay's mind. And and the, the, the quotes will stand out to you. We'll, we'll get to that a little bit later. But there's some pretty aggressive comments from Jim Ursay in regards to Sunday's matchup and obviously for the AFC South if you look at the history in this division really during the Colts drought so look at the seven-year drought the Colts have had in the AFC South the winner of this division they win four or five games in the division that year well if you look at the Colts schedule right now that means they would have to win the rest of their AFC South games to get to that four number that they can't get to the five number there's only six divisional games they've obviously missed out on two of those chances so We'll get to that coming up in the 9 o'clock hour. That was a laser by Aaron Judge last night. How about the guy? And I pointed this out. I'm stealing it off someone's Twitter, but it is interesting. I'm a little disappointed in myself that I did not think of it. That Aaron Judge, 61 years after Roger Maris hit 61, has now hit his 61st home run, and Roger Maris did it in 1961. That screams a Jake Query tweet. Um, but how about the guy in left field? It looked very similar to Mark McGuire's 70th, actually. Or no, 62nd. Right. 
McGuire's maybe a little bit further to the left, yeah. a little bit lower. But nonetheless, how about the guy that brought his glove? Mm-hmm. With a Bichette jersey on, which I love. And, I mean, like, did it hit his glove, or did he just not get down low enough? Boy, that's a great question. I thought it might have grazed the glove. I think at that point, Jake, if you're his friends, assuming his friends were around him, you just got to push him in the bullpen. Push him in the bullpen. He's just got to topple into the bullpen, and people will feel sorry for him. Maybe the guys in the bullpen will be like, yeah, man, have the." it was a Blue Jays bullpen, right? I think that's right. You know, maybe he'll get the ball just off of unbelievable effort. And he can still get his six figures that he would have got had he ca- caught the ball in the glove. Uh, his homer, by the way, was a go-ahead home run in the seventh. Yanks then went on to win 8-3. I think Toronto. that's kind of cool. 3-3 three, three in the seventh, full yeah. count. Yeah, it wasn't like it was 9-4 to four or something. He just comes up, yeah. I guess Toronto. the bases were empty, right? Toronto could have walked them. Yeah. In that sense, they obviously did that a whole lot. Um, what was it, Wednesday night? You know, cute fella. Ever since, like, I mentioned that they needed to go fourteen and two to get in. I think they're going to go two and fourteen. It's kind of shocking that they're even in it. Well, they're not now, right? Brewers and Phillies. That's that's kind of a close matchup in the NL for that final wild card spot. I think it's down to a half game, uh, and then we still have the Mets and the Braves. There is no team in Major League Baseball that is more uh, to me than the Phillies. Uh, do you know anybody that's a Phillies fan? You ever met somebody that's like, oh, man, huge Phillies fan? Matt Conti, Colts head of PR, diehard Phillies fan. Really? Is he from that area? Uh, yes. Penn State product. Yeah, obviously Penn State is not Philadelphia, but yeah. Um, gosh, he'll, he'll text me. Jamestown, does that sound right? Just outside of Philly? Lara Overton says, the bullpen coach who caught the ball is the husband of former ESPN anchor Sarah Walsh. I, I'll be honest. I'll, I wish I could tell you I remembered or knew who Sarah Walsh is. Does anybody uh, kind else of like know? Kind like a taller blonde, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. I think if you saw her, you would recognize her. Well, that's pretty cool. Oh, Sarah Walsh. She's the one that's married to the bullpen fella for the Blue Jays, right? <laughs> God. <laughs> Matthew said a guy was on first when Judge hit it. Okay, so maybe that was why they didn't walk Was it him. who? I, I thought it was. I thought the uh, bases were empty there. Uh, I saw the ESPN stats and info said that was the hardest hit home run of Judge's season. It had been a few days, so he's probably had a lot of aggression in that swing. A little anger coming out. I mean, the the announcer barely said it's gone, and it would already hit the outfield wall. Yeah. Did you see the guy that dropped it that had the glove and just the look of despair in oh, his yeah. eyes? Uh, can I mention one thing that that I, I think you fellows are familiar with? Um that like, I, I just want to get off my chest. It's like Mark just missed our two minutes of talking about the guy who tried to attempt to catch the ball. Yeah, I got, I got sidetracked with some uh, family stuff weather-wise down in Florida. Oh, just, well, I hope everything's okay. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. It's all right. Um, I, I'm thrilled, and I know you guys are too, That, that and folks listening probably don't care. It's it, Maybe it's not even worth mentioning, but um, we have merged companies with another, which is neat, right? All of a sudden, you just kind of double the size of the family. But it appears as though um, we do some things we do differently, like the reply all button on emails. Have you guys noticed this? Yeah, a lot of congratulatory. Mm-hmm. That's always I woke up this morning. I had 274 emails, and I thought, oh, what Oof. happened? Um, and, you know, some fellas. Kids have had that. Some 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 guy in accounting at the new joint, his kid won a soccer match or something, and so everyone's congratulating him. 
reply all, reply all, reply all. This has to be like a Seinfeld episode, right? I mean, I'm wading through, not to use the Florida term, but I'm, I'm navigating through all of these emails to find, oh, there's the one I need. Okay, yes. How about this one here from the YouTube chat? I've started setting my alarm for 6.58 just to listen to the show live now. I've lost total control of my life. <laughs> now, who's that from? Wabash Valley Cards. Karen Query. Okay, thanks, Mom. Wabash Valley Cards or Cards? Cards. And then he says, beers with Bowen at your pad. I don't, that sounds like a plan to me. I don't know what he's referencing there. How many does Judge hit? Seven games to go? Does this kind of get the pressure off him a little bit, or is it to pass Maris? Is that really... Can he hit nine in seven days and get to 70? Boy, that'd be huge. Highly unlikely, right? I mean, does anything else matter on the list? You know, do you want to pass Sosa at 66? Do you want to pass Maris? I think at this point, the only thing that matters is passing Maris because it's the Yankees, right? And it's the league. I mean, you know, Sosa and McGuire were both, and Bonds were all in the National League. Yeah, cool moment last night, obviously, and Aaron Judge gives the home run ball to his mother after the game. Um, Again, long injury list for the Colts yesterday. The notables on said list would include, I don't know if Jonathan Taylor's ever been on the injury list. Now, aren't you the one that pointed out, oh, did you see the Colts did a video yesterday? Did you guys hear the opening to it? It was you, wasn't it? Yes, sirree. Who was after me? Can you pull that up, Mark? Go to the Colts' Twitter page. They tweeted it out. It kind of reminded me of our hard, hard Knocks days. Totally. And that, part of me wondered, I'm like, where did they get that? Did they just go through and listen well, to the podcast? Maybe they're setting the, the alarm at 6.58 and listening to it. Maybe Ballard said, I heard Jake had some audio, and let's insert They've that into the video. They've lost control of their life. I th- did, they, did they use my audio as like a, how you like me now, like, nah, 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 nah? I tend to think in those videos it's typically... Yes, we silence the haters. But I, I didn't think that was necessarily the right. audio angle that they went with you. Okay, here we go. Yeah, I don't know who that second voice is. I guess your voice is more setting the scene and more saying Kansas City's on this pedestal. I've always said this about those sorts of videos, Jake. Everyone says that they don't listen to the noise until they beat that team and then they play back all the noise. Correct. Of course. I mean, that's like how every one of those, and the video is great. I mean, it's very well done. That's a seven and a half minute video. Terrific behind the scenes. Yeah, it's kind of a highlight package and mic'd up version of the video. Uh, Jonathan Taylor's going to play on Sunday, Jake. There's no issue whatsoever with that. But I don't like seeing a running back with a toe injury. Man, I'll tell you what, turf toe in particular, I I mean, there have got, there have been guys that have been derailed over over things like that, right? Marshall Falk, I remember, had always was battling turf toe. I don't know, is turf toe just a, you stub your toe? Is it a jammed big toe? I thought it was something like tendon related. I remember um, Will, uh, Will Carroll was on with us one time describing, I thought it was something like tendon related with your it's big toe. Connective tissue issue with between the foot and the toe. One of the joints uh, in the ball of the foot when the big toe is involved is known as turf toe. Now, why do you, why do you think they call it turf toe? Is it because it gets stuck in the turf and that's what uh, turf toe is named for from the injury being associated with playing sports on rigid surfaces such as artificial turf. And it's a fairly common injury among professional American football players. Well, they don't. Well, I guess at Lucas Oil they do play on turf, right? There's a lot of people that have gripes about the Lucas Oil turf. Really? 
Yeah, they feel like that's an issue. Have they not played at the RCA Dome? I don't think the torn ACL for Jamison Williams in the national title game helped that either. How about the concrete followed by a quarter-inch carpet pad followed by plastic, like, give you a raspberry in a split second if you even look at it, turf of the 1985 RCA Dome. I mean, the fact that they played... Yeah, they might as well just play on, you know, concrete basketball. Just ridiculous. I mean, if you're Eric Dickerson or you are somebody who, you know, running back, Bill Brooks, I'd love to know what Bill Brooks thinks of that turf. I mean, it, in hindsight, that is ridiculous. And the, there's a reason why guys that played for the Colts back then were completely covered and they, they taped themselves all over because their entire body was a rash. I mean, take, have you ever slid on AstroTurf? It's like plastic shrapnel. It's insane. And then the, the new turf, the problem with it is all the little rubber things, right? They get little pellets shoes. going yeah. downy that then they there's put on some there. NFL stadiums. I want to say it's Arizona's one of them where they bring in natural grass. Yeah, they, they've, right. got the, they've got the field that rolls out. I think a lot of people are hoping that the indoor NFL stadiums all adopt that from a safety standpoint. Jake, of those six names, no Taylor, no Buckner, no Gilmore, no Ryan Kelly, no Yanni Kangakwe, no Julian Blackman. Well, the most important of them is Taylor. Because even though, like, what do you have, 71 yards? Last week, but but the threat of Taylor is what their offense feeds off of, right? Yeah, Taylor's probably the obvious one. I would throw Ryan Kelly's name on that list, Jake, because in a week where pass protection is a glaring issue for you and communication problems have been atop that list, I think any time you're missing your center at practice, that's not ideal. And there's that's one fair. thing that Tennessee does a really nice job of. It's they disguise a whole lot. And Jeffrey Simmons and Danico Autry are two very productive interior rushers. So I'd say, again, Taylor's going to play. Kelly's the one that I think you just monitor a little bit more. He did talk to the media yesterday. That's usually a pretty good sign. Um, But, yeah, Stephon Gilmore played through the hamstring injury on Sunday. He was listed with that on the injury report to Forrest Buckner. It's not the hip that he's been battling early in the year. It was an elbow he was observing practice yesterday, and then no word yet on the severity of Julian Blackman's ankle sprain. What player of those that we think of as being key Colts, which one is off to the worst start this year? Because there are a couple of culprits here, right? Yeah, I'd say probably either Kelly or Kenny Moore. Kenny Moore is I, Kelly. I, I think it may be Kelly, to be honest with you, because so much feeds off of what Kelly does. You know, Kelly is. I guess l- I should have rephrased that, Kevin. Of the guys that are struggling, which is the most important? Which is the most critical to get going? Yeah, probably Kelly, just for your health of your quarterback. You know, there's and a, what there's everybody a, else does off of him, right? right? There's a domino effect more with Kelly than there is Correct. with Kenny Moore. Um, I mean, it's a pass happy league. Kenny Moore is obviously critical, but um. I, feel, I don't know about you, Jake. I feel really confident about the Colts on Sunday. Tennessee, I've said all week long, they are wounded, and they can't run the football. Yeah, I would agree with you. And they can't stop the run. Number one ranked rush defense in the NFL right now, Indianapolis Colts. Is this the time of year now where the real Colts stand up? Like, 
It's probably hair early for me to commit there. I just don't think this Tennessee team is anywhere near what past Tennessee teams were. Are you surprised it's still only a three-point spread? Yes, and I think a reason for that is the over-under's got to be pretty small, Mark. I, I don't think Vegas believes the Colts can score enough to really like truly run away from Tennessee. 42.5. That's low. Yeah. That's really low. That's Yeah. So they're thinking, what, 23-20? The only lower one than that is Bears-Giants at 39.5. I did see uh, Justin Fields is on some billboards in Chicago. I was in Chicago yesterday. Yeah? Um, so he's replacing some of the Brian Urlacher hair ones? Oh, boy. No, they've got 400 of those to make. I didn't take 294, thank goodness. I didn't see Urlacher sandwiched between firework <laughs> billboards. But uh, Marcus, the Australian kid, did say, because Michael, the father, said, well, who is that on that billboard? So that's Justin Fields. He's the quarterback of the Bears. And Marcus, the kid in the back, so they know this much in Australia about American football, said, uh, he's trash. Oh, that was harsh. <laughs> well. I mean, they are two and one. Yeah, he hasn't been much help at the moment, but hopefully. Who the Bears got this week? Giants. Gosh, the Bears. They've got a they've three got a, and one, man. I mean, there's not a, their schedule's pretty lined up to where, I mean, even if they get some decent play from him. They so could, could they, they be him. that team this year that? Suddenly hangs around and just like backs their way into a wild card where you're like, and then you know scores nine points on wild card Saturday. Could be. I mean, got the you had the Texans, you have the Giants, then the Vikings, then the Commanders, then the Patriots. Yeah, I mean, I mean they, I'm still not thinking playoffs, but if Justin Fields could just be a little more competent, I mean, they can make a little bit of surprise. Is Commanders such a weird name and such a bad choice? But it is so far removed from, even though they went through Washington football team, mm-hmm. but it's commander so weird and so unique and such a ridiculous swing and a miss on a name that actually it's effective because you don't even Freudian slip yeah. into almost saying Redskins. We're like, with the, with the, like Guardian, with the, the Guardians, Wash- it's still the Ians, so you could easily yeah. mix that yeah, up. Like, like, there's no overlap with any other nickname in the NFL, too. Correct. Like, I, I mean, when I see the W now, I'm like, oh, yeah, Commanders. I'm mean, yeah. like, it instantly rings to me. Which mission accomplished then. Correct. That was their goal. Correct. I liked Washington football team, though, if I'm not. I did, too. I thought it was kind of cool. I oh, got yeah. used to it. WTF, right? Mm-hmm. Well, especially well, this be, year with Carson Wentz at the moment. WFT, right? I thought every time I saw it, I thought WTF. Of course. Uh, Dolphins say undefeated tonight. Ooh, I got to get that game in. Um, I forget they're playing who? At Bengals. Four-point underdog, the Miami Dolphins tonight. I Two is questionable, so if he doesn't Sounds go, Sounds like he's then going to play. Sounds yeah. like he's going to give it a go. But if he doesn't, then it's Teddy Bridgewater, which I feel like that's still a solid option. I would to agree cover, with, To win? To cover, to win? To both. So you guys wow, know, you don't like Cincinnati. You guys I do like Cincinnati, but I, I think the Dolphins just have a lot of talent, and I, think, I don't think the Bengals' defense is very good. Danny Lopez, who is with the Pacers in the business office that we met, um, he's what corporate affairs. Anyway, the, the, they hit a long LinkedIn title. Yeah, but Danny Lopez of the Pacers is a Dolphins fan. He grew up in Southern Florida and was telling me he's a big Dolphins fan. FIU product, right? Yeah, and he was. We were talking about it, and he's like, "Yeah, he is not thrilled about Teddy Bridgewater." And I'm like, "Dude, of of NFL backups, gosh, yeah, for what a do game you want? or two, like he's pretty solid, right?" Did he get? Was he loving Jacoby? And yeah, Robert, I don't, Ryan I don't know Fitzpatrick who they would have preferred, right? Yeah, Teddy Bridgewater, I would take that 
as well. He's sufficient. Boy, I love the Cincinnati look tonight, though. Oh, yeah. The whiteout. Mm-hmm. Whew. Big fan. That's a great Thursday nighter tonight. Dolphins and Bengals. I saw that yesterday Cincinnati Bearcats students were filming Miami's walkthrough at Nippert Stadium. Really? Miami social team. Posting every play on Twitter. Begging them to take it down. I thought they were building an indoor facility. I thought that was part of the – I guess it's not built maybe in time. Wasn't that part of, like, we're going to the Super Bowl, we're finally going to finance an indoor facility for you? The Bengals' facilities are like 1977, right? I mean, you literally can just pull over at I-74 and watch them practice. <laughs> it's it's rather wild. That is awesome. Can you? I've, I've told you guys when I covered the Rams, Rams Park in St. Louis – I know I've told you guys this – is in a – it would be the equivalent in Indianapolis – if the Col- well, kind of where the Colts complex is, actually, just you know, except for that there is a residential area not far from Rams Park, and we were, the media was allowed in, so that makes this story even more bizarre. But Mike Martz stopped to practice in the middle of. Pra- I mean, I'm talking blows the whistles. Mike Kurt- Martz. Kurt Warner drops back to pass, and Mike Martz blows the whistles. I'm like, what is going on? And I mean, everything comes to an immediate screeching halt. Stop. And we stopped for 30 – not we. I wouldn't do anything. I was just there as a media member. But they stopped for 35 minutes probably and sent out security and a big fleet of SUVs left the area and da-da-da-da-da because Mike Martz saw people in trees that he was convinced were spying on and recording the Rams' practices. And people were like, I don't think so. No, I'm telling you, da da And then they finally got into the neighborhood and did a big scour and had a helicopter overhead and – it was two 12-year-old kids building a treehouse. <laughs> True story. NFL teams, Kevin, they do not mess around when it comes to that stuff, right? They no. do not mess around. They do not. Moro Nick in the YouTube chat says, bet on the Dolphins. They don't lose to quarterbacks with O in their name. Is that stat I, still alive? I think so. Joe Burrow's got a couple, right? He's got a few. I would think right now... Do you think there's any irony in the fact that the Bucks had to vacate to go take refuge in a practice facility whose quarterback may be a guy named Bridgewater? Hmm, I thought you were going to reference the tampering that Miami did with Brady, Mark, and now Brady's in their own facility. Mark gave me side eye, right? I'm trying to think about how that works. Well, like they, the, the Howard Franklin Bridge is underwater, for crying out loud. That's why oh, they had to okay. vac- vacate. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm more thinking from the tampering standpoint. Miami just lost a draft pick because they tried to go after Brady, and now Brady's, like, kicking his feet up and that's where to, I thought his, he, to his office. That's where I thought he was going. <laughs> that's kind of awkward. If you're, if you're Stephen Ross, you're like, wait a minute. This is what Bra- – Listen, Brady's awkward in general now, and I know that it's easy pickings to, like, make fun of Tom Brady, but something's going on there, man. He looks weird now. Like all whatever he was doing in terms of the avocado toast and trying to stay young, eventually he catches up to you and he just looks weird. Roy G. Biv morning here in Indianapolis looks glorious outside on this Thursday morning. Again, a loaded guest rundown, a little Purdue chatter, some Pacers, and then the Titans Colts matchup. While the over under might be low for Sunday, this is a massive one when you're talking about the AFC South and the outlook for the Colts the rest of the season within the division. We'll get to those Jim Mersey comments. A little bit later here in the 7 o'clock hour. Kevin Aquari on 93.5-1075, The Fan. The Morning Checkdown. Brought to you by Ball State Football. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com. Omaha. On 93.5 and 1075, The Fan. Kevin, we mentioned it last night. Aaron Judge 
61 years after Roger Maris hit 61 home runs, Aaron Judge gets number 61 himself. Of course, Roger Maris did that in 1961. And it happened with the Yankees wanting to go ahead in a game that they would ultimately win over the Toronto Blue Jays. Do we have the audio of it, Mark? 3-3 game in the seventh, Jake. Full count. and It wasn't a great call, so you're not missing anything there, Mark. I think the hardest hit home run of the year, and it goes in the Blue Jays' bullpen. The guy in the Bichette jersey just lost six figures. You know what's with, interesting? A, with a glove on, too. That's, like, inexcusable. Here, here's something interesting. <laughs> it's the hardest hit ball of the year. Right? Still. I mean, Roger or Mark McGuire's 62nd barely cleared left field. And went into like the bull, not the bullpen area, but the auxiliary area where like a team worker got the ball. Hank Aaron, 715th left field into the bullpen. His own teammate was the one that was able to retrieve the ball. And then yesterday, bullpen again, right? Where did Bond's 73rd go? That one, I think, was right center, wasn't it? And that went into the stands. Into right? the stands, yeah. Yeah. But it's funny because Bonds is the one that when people talk about like the historic home runs, you never hear anybody really mentioned Bonds, and he's the king of all, you know. He's numero uno. Aaron Judge, seven games to go with 61. Oh, well, there was the end of it. I don't know what just happened. <laughs> we'll find it next break. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right Col- on top of this. The Colts had their second practice of the week uh, today. It was a long injury report yesterday. The guys that did not practice include Jonathan Taylor, DeForest Buckner, Stephon Gilmore, Ryan Kelly, Yannick Ngakwe, Julian Blackman, uh, we'll certainly monitor that today, see how many veteran rest days are on that injury report. Uh, but yesterday, Matt Ryan met the media and talked about the communication issues right now in pass protection. And at times, we've done it good, and uh, it's just been at certain times and critical times, too, you know, where we've had lapses in that. And uh, for me, you know, the, the focus has to be on improving our consistency uh, because the good is good, you know, and, and the bad is really – it's not good and um, you know we're capable of better consistently and uh, I think if we can do it we've done it very well at times and, and we've done it poorly at times we just we need to be more consistent with it one thing I believe to reiterate from yesterday Jake is you know when you're talking communication certainly it's Ryan Kelly and Matt Ryan and the five up front but I think there were some misses in protection from running backs and tight ends on Sunday um, so getting everybody on the same page, Tennessee is known as one of the more disguising fronts, and you know certainly they're going to challenge the Colts in that on Sunday. The good news is they're the worst run defense in the NFL. That should be music to the ears of Jonathan Taylor and put the Colts in much more favorable third down situation. Matt Ryan was born and raised where? Did we look that up? I believe in the Philly area, actually. That's right. I think he went to But he's been in Atlanta for a while. Charter? Did he pick up a slight... Georgian accent down there. Exton, Pennsylvania. He has a slight drawl. Does that happen once you move to a city and you live there long enough? I guess I don't it does. Know if I right? noticed that. Uh, play the first part of that again, Mark. Boston College. Play the and very- at times we've done it good, and uh, it's just been at certain times and critical times, too. You know, Right there, times. Yeah. At critical times. saying he sounds like Brian Kelly? At critical times. That's right. <laughs> Matt Ryan is just here with his family. Yes. Something in the water there. Thursday night football tonight. Again, it'll be Amazon, Miami, and Cincinnati in a pretty good Thursday night matchup. Honestly, the Thursday night game's been much better than the Sunday night games this year. Uh, That'll fall off. I was looking ahead at the (laughs) the Thursday night schedule. Are you saying Colts-Broncos next week? No, well, I mean, that's not a great one, but I mean, at one point we have 
Jaguars at Jets. Uh, we've got. Hey, now that could be the AFC South leading Jags. Eagles at Texans. Falcons at Panthers. There's a couple duds. There are up. some woof games this weekend, by the way. Yeah. It's actually a good college football slate. Five games of ranked teams, college football. And your Tigers, Jake, probably one of the biggest games of the weekend. I was going to go down, and then I think it's going to rain the whole time, right? That's a good point. Gosh, night I remember game, Notre Saturday Dame. night, Clemson, North Carolina State. I remember Notre Dame playing in a monsoon in Clem- at Clemson and at NC State yeah. in the last like handful of years. That's college game day. Clemson, NC State. It'd be big. McAfee might need the poncho. Number five and number ten for that one. All right, we come back here. We'll get into the Colts conversation. Jim Irsay is not hid from his displeasure at the Colts' recent run against the Tennessee Titans. Titans have won four of five against Irsay's football team. We'll explain more when we come back here. Kevin Aquari, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. In 1994, I was an intern for the summer at MTV in New York City. And not that song. That was his second hit, Coolio's. But Fantastic Voyage, which is a great song, was literally on like every probably twice an hour in that summer of 94 for Coolio. And news coming out last night just about 12 hours ago that apparently Coolio was visiting a friend, I believe, in California, uh, went to the restroom, was unresponsive for quite some time. They finally... Did a well, you know, wellness check on him, and he had collapsed in the bathroom, um, undetermined as to what the cause of death was for Coolio. I thought I saw cardiac arrest. I, I mean, I think that was assumed based on, um, you know, the way he was found or whatnot. Also, that song stood the test of time. Yeah, I mean, he had a couple of really good songs, and then kind of became one of those personalities on you know different variety shows, if you will. Um, you know, another one that um, yesterday that I learned of late last night, if you've ever been to the Raskeller, either one of you guys have been to the Raskeller? Oh, without question. Yep. Was there last month. If you go to the Raskeller and just before you go out to the beer garden, uh, Wayne Bigby was kind of the head bartender there of the bar in the beer hall just before you go outside. And Wayne is one of those guys. It was unbelievable. I, I mean, literally, I went in one time, and, you know, I, I've been to the Raskeller plenty of times in my life, but never, like, a bar fly by any stretch. But I walked up, and the dude said, like, you want an IPA? I'm like, holy cow, dude. Like, how did you know that? And, like, he he had a unique ability of every single person feeling like they were Norm from Cheers when they walked in to the Rathskeller, in terms of this city, and I did not know Wayne at all, only knew him from being a customer of his at the Rathskeller, but in terms of this city and people in the service industry that make every single person that they deal with feel like that's their home, which is what I want for Indianapolis for everywhere, this city could have benefited from 10,000 Wayne Bigby's working in bars, restaurants, any sort of service industry, hospitality industry at it of any way, shape, or form. There was nobody better at what they did than Wayne, uh, who also yesterday, it was announced, unexpectedly passed away. And that is a huge void, that. huge void. For
for downtown Indianapolis, for people that enjoy the Rathskeller, which is one of the great crown jewels of Indianapolis. Love the Rathskeller. absolutely be missed. Absolutely love Absolutely it. will be missed. Um, so, anyway, moving forward, Kevin, uh, condolences, by the way, though, to the friends and family of Wayne Bigby and to all who crossed paths with them at the Rathskeller. They, you probably know exactly who I'm talking about. Um, Jim Mercer, this is a big one for him this weekend. Uh, gargantuan. That's probably the word I would use. Um, again, we'll have Zach Kiefer on in the 9 o'clock hour. Um, he did a great job of going back to last year's meeting. You know, when you think back to the meeting here at Lucas Oil Stadium last year, Jake, do you remember that game at all on Halloween? Colts got off to the big lead. Tyquan Lewis injures his knee and fumbles on an interception right. return. Carson Wentz throws an interception with his left hand. Colts lose in overtime. A.J. Brown goes off. Uh, just an excruciating loss and, and really pretty much ended your AFC South hopes on Halloween because you had lost, you know, down in Nashville in week three when Wentz was hobbled. Um, after that game, and Zach has the details of this in his story, after that game, Ursay brings all of his scouts in for a meeting at West 56th Street. And this quote Zach has in a story from Ursay in reference to what he said to those scouts. Do you like being dominated? Because you're getting your ass kicked. We have to get past Tennessee. Well, we don't. Not until somebody stands up and does something about it. I think it's pretty rare for the owner, particularly to do that with calling in all of the scouts. Obviously, a seven-year AFC South drought, like we said, to open up the show today, watching Tennessee, the team that's probably been the most rival-like to Indianapolis. Jake, you referenced the 1999 playoff game here. That probably plays something into it. And I think more present day, the fact that Mike Vrabel and Frank Reich were hired in the same cycle. You interviewed Vrabel before the McDaniels you know, commitment and then obviously the decommitment, if you will, and then... Frank Reich being the new head coach after Tennessee chose Mike Vrabel, that probably adds to it. So this one, monumental. Monumental for the owner. And when you look at how the AFC South has unfolded to start this year, again, Jake, in the last seven years, the Colts have not won one AFC South crown. The winner has won either five of six or four of six AFC South games. So if you want to win the AFC South, in all likelihood, You've got to have four or five division wins. The Colts, that means the Colts would have to run the table to it get just, to four AFC South wins. Doesn't it feel like Tennessee is undoubtedly backpedaling? Maybe not sprinting backwards. Backpedaling is probably the wrong word. But it feels like in the AFC South, you know, the... the I think I, backpedaling is the right way I, to I say drove, it. I drove to Chicago yesterday, and at one point, Michael, the guy from Australia, said, what are your rules on the left lane here? And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, this this guy over here in the left lane, at one point on 65, there were three lanes. And he said, this guy in the left lane is going way too slow, like we're about to pass him on the right. So I was in the middle lane, but then somebody in the far right is like coming, like accelerating quickly. So I have to decide, like, okay, do I go ahead and get in front of the guy in the left lane now, or is he eventually going to realize he's not supposed to be in the left lane, and he's going to merge over, and then I'll just, you know, how, how do we do this here? And the Colts feel like they are the team that that was – they were me. They're in the middle lane, and they're used to being in the left lane. So they've got somebody saying, like, why is somebody in the left lane that's too slow to be there? Well, that's Tennessee. 
Tennessee's been in the left lane, but like, are they really a left lane team right now? No. And Jacksonville's the one, the guy in the right lane that all of a sudden, like in the Hyundai, is coming at like ninety, and you're like, well, where is this coming from? I, mean, I didn't expect was the this number, at all. They were the number one seed last year. I know, Jake. I know. But since then, it just feels like they've just dropped off, and they're just kind of coming back into traffic. Does that make sense? I remember having this discussion the Friday night after the draft. So Thursday night is round one. The Colts. Did not have a pick in round one this year. Before the Colts took Alec Pierce, before they took Jelani Woods, before they traded back into the third round to take Nick Cross, the best moment of the draft for the Colts, and I would argue the best moment of the Colts offseason, was Tennessee saying, see ya, to A.J. Brown. That was a huge head head scratcher for me at the time, and it looks even worse the way they've started the season, too. I think for two reasons, Mark. I, I couldn't agree more on that one is you have a quarterback that I think needs weapons to manage whatever you hope he is trying to manage Ryan Tannehill is not going to get Nick Westbrook I think he's added a last name since he's been at IU he's not gonna get him to become a thousand yard wideout you know this is not a guy that all of a sudden is going to lift the Blair Whites of the world like Peyton Manning might have and then two if you look at how the wide receiver market unfolded this offseason the four main guys that all fell in that draft class, I think it's the 2019 draft class, the four guys that play wide out that all wanted extensions, Terry McLaurin, DK Metcalf, Debo Samuel, A.J. Brown, those four, only one was traded from his team. Mm-hmm. The other three re-signed. And the other three re-signed with, I think, different types of teams in that Seattle's kind of in a rebuild. Washington's in this awkward situation with Wentz. Obviously, San Francisco, I think, views it a little bit more in a win now. But Tennessee, who you would think would fall into the win now category, given Derrick Henry's age and just Derrick Henry, age probably is the right term, maybe just given the the father time effect of any running back in the NFL and the fact that he just had an injury that sidelined him for multiple months, it made zero sense to me why Tennessee decided to send A.J. Brown pack in. And I think when you've watched them this season, they just look – they just lack firepower. Yeah, I, that's fair. Well, how They're, many years did they go the, go to the gates with Kendall Wright, Corey Davis? Like, guys are just exactly. like, man, if they could get a wide receiver and then they got A.J. Brown, they traded him away. Right. Like, okay. Who was the receiver they had drafted? Kenny Nix, was that his name? Kenny well, Britt? Kenny Britt. That was supposed to be, you know – Corey Davis was the fifth overall I mean, pick, right? They, yeah. they've, mm-hmm. they were always searching for like a big target receiver for so long. A DK Metcalf type that they yeah. kept th- thinking was going to hit. Never happened. Seattle's an interesting one you mentioned, Kevin, because, you know, Seattle, I wonder now how much of it is Seattle decided to rebuild versus Seattle felt like Russell Wilson was no longer futuristically speaking going to give them return on investment. So, but, uh, because okay, Geno Smith point, has not been terrible. To that point, then wouldn't they trade away DK Metcalf? Fair, fair. It, it, that's what's odd to me. It's but, like the teams that you would slot more in a rebuild than Tennessee decided to say. But would you agree, though, that like, because you thought to yourself like, wait a minute, Geno Smith, that guy was the backup for, for the Jets like nine years ago. And yet. He has not been a disaster, right? Like you, you thought when Geno Smith took over in Seattle, it felt like, okay, well, the Seahawks are going in a direction where they just got to have somebody taking snaps. But well, he's been okay. What is there? Is it one and two? They're one and two, yeah. Yeah, I, I can't pretend I've watched. Seahawks-Falcons is not on my watching viewing 
this past weekend. Uh, we'll continue the Colts conversation coming up a little bit later. We come back, though. Purdue, it's a big one for them. We'll see on the health of Aiden O'Connell Saturday, a noon kickoff at Minnesota. Tom Deanhart joins us next. Jake, I think when the um, schedule came out for Purdue this season, you, you looked at this, I guess, restart of your Big Ten schedule. You had Minnesota out of the gate, and then you played your non-conference schedule, and now you've got this at Minnesota game. This was one that I think probably would fall a little bit more like in the Pickham area, like when the season started. I know Minnesota's, I think, had Jeff Brom's number, but now all of a sudden losing to Penn State, you see what Minnesota's done. This now is... The Aiden O'Connell injury, this is a, almost a two-touchdown underdog for Purdue. And if, again, you want any hope at the Big Ten West, this would seem to be one that you really need to try and pull off an upset on Saturday. Again, it is a noon kickoff from up there. Uh, let's begin here. Tom Deanhart from Golden Black joins us on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Tom, I tend to think the Colts can be vague on injuries. I feel like Jeff Brom takes it to a whole nother level. Uh, any update on Aiden O'Connell? The update is there is no update, so there you go. You know, we're going to get one last shot to talk to Coach Brom today, post-practice, probably about 5 p.m., and my guess is he's going to he's gonna tell us Aiden, Aiden's a game-time decision. And we'll, we'll get the same for, uh, for the other litany of guys who missed last week. Of course, don't forget Jalen Graham, the best defensive player, has missed the last three games with that tibia fracture. I seriously doubt we see him in Minnesota. They certainly could use him against that physical gopher attack, but all eyes are on AOC. That's the question mark. But again, I wish I could tell you more at this point, guys, as to if he's going to suit up or not Saturday. So the details we know is he got hurt early in that Syracuse game, and we the assumption is something rib-related? You nailed it right there. You know, we've asked Coach Brom, you know, when the injury did occur, he said the first quarter of the Syracuse game. If you go back and watch it, it's hard to decipher maybe where exactly it happened. A lot of people thought maybe he was on the pick six in the fourth quarter. Um, but no, Coach Blom said it was the first quarter. Yeah, it seems to be that the scuttlebutt anyway, it seems to be speculation seems to be rib-related. Uh, cracked, bruised, who knows? Cartilage, uh, again, no details have been provided. I, I have asked Coach Blom on the record. Of course, he's not going to say what the injury is. So, yeah, you know what? I, I, if it is a rip thing, I, my, 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 you know, you guys know what the football is. This, it's not going to get better till after the season, right? So it's going to be whether you can tolerate pain or not and, uh, and still function at a high level. So, uh, again, uh, there, there's pain and there's injury, and uh, we're going to have to wait to see what, what's going to happen in number 16. You know, to me, this seems like a big one, Tom, other than the obvious, Minnesota's really – and I think Minnesota's really good, right? It's on the road. It's in the Big Ten. It's a team that typically the games between Minnesota and Purdue just go bonkers, right? It's usually like a pinball game, just watching, scoring back and forth. But – and I know this sounds crazy and maybe hyperbole, but is this a big game for Jeff Brom, or have we just been saying that year in and year out? Or is this, in fact, the one where he needs to put his flag in the ground and say, yes, in fact, I'm the guy at Purdue, and this is what we're going to be? Yeah, I, th- I think it's the latter. I-, I think this is a flag in the ground kind of a game. This is a game if you ever are going to scale the summit of the Big Ten West. Uh, this, this is the game you got to win. Uh, you, you mentioned briefly the – I guess the uh, the dominance Minnesota's had over over Purdue in the last 15, 20 years. Honestly, it's crazy. Um, 
Jeff Brom's 4-1 against P.J. Fleck. They've, he's lost the last four. You know, Purdue's never won in that new stadium up in Minnesota, their own six. Uh, you can go on and on with, with the bloody details, but Minnesota's had Purdue's number. That's the bottom line. And, again, it looks like the Big Ten West is going to go through the Twin Cities this year. And here you are. You get your chance. You're walking right up into their house, maybe send a statement. I know there's a lot of questions hanging over Purdue. It's going to be homecoming up there. It's going to be loud and crazy. And, yeah, this is going to be a, a good litmus test for this season and where this program is overall. And uh, just a big month of October, too, guys. Don't forget that. I wrote something this week about October. Three of the four games are on the road. At Minnesota, at Maryland, then you come home for Nebraska, then you go to Wisconsin. This is going to be the month that really tells us what type of season three is going to have, obviously. Tom, what did you think of Austin Burton last Saturday night? I think he's a number two quarterback, honestly. Um, he does a lot of nice things. I give the staff a lot of credit. They they they, they played to your wheelhouse, which 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 is what you got to do with your personnel. Don't ask them to do things they can't do. They rolled them out, got them on the move. You saw some option. You saw some QB run. Um, but and the big butt here, guys, is he, you, there's just no downfield passing game. Charlie Jones had I think 59 yards catch uh, receiving the longest catch was 28 yards by a running back Devin Mockaby which is mostly a run after the catch and to really make this Jeff Blom offense go you need a quarterback that can take the top off a of defense and throw it deep Austin Burton's he's, he's got a nice arm he's a nice quarterback he can get you through a game or two but I think against a, a, a top level opponent on the road boy it's going to be a tall task to ask this offense to function at the level it's going to need to function when it comes to passing the football Purdue to maybe get a win up there. Tom, I've got a question for you. Tom Deanhardt is our guest on the Payless Liggers guest line. Uh, that is not necessarily specific to Purdue, except for that it's the Boilers um, mid-October tussle and maybe a game where they've got to kind of right the ship at that time. But what is it do you think? I have my own theory here, but I'm interested in yours. How and why has it gone so south for Nebraska? And listen, Tom, for guys younger than we – Guys in their mid-20s are probably like, what's he talking about? Nebraska, they've always been bad. No, this is a program that when – there's a reason the Big Ten went out and got them. And quite frankly, they have not upheld their end of the bargain here the last few years. What the hell is going on with Nebraska? And Nebraska's becoming a dated reference when, when, when you refer to good football, right? Uh, it's like it's Rogan. like Indiana basketball, right? <laughs> yeah, that's a good analogy. That's a perfect analogy, actually. Uh, a brand that's lost a lot of its hue – a lot of its shine, a lot of its, its glitter, and, and, and it's overall power and success, which is really what matters, right? I mean, they still have a tremendous following, both those brands do. A lot of eyeballs, packed the stands and whatnot. But the on-field product has been waning big time, especially for Nebraska. I mean, my gosh, it's, the last conference title was 1999 when they were back in the Big 12. And obviously kids born then are like 23 years old or 21, 22 23 years old. So, yeah, a long time ago, fellas. Um, I don't think they have an identity. Ask yourself this. You've heard the phrase of making an elevator pitch, right? So you got you walk on an elevator with somebody. You got, you got right up to the 10th floor to try to pitch somebody on what is Nebraska football. And think to yourself, what would be your pitch? I, I can't even tell you what their identity is. And that's part of the problem right there. There's been a constant turnover at the presidential level, number one. Number two, a ton of ADs as well. And then a lot of coaches. It's just been a turnstile of styles, leadership, philosophies for 
20 years now, and here we go again. They're spinning the roulette wheel, praying that they, they land on a good coach this time. We all know there's no guarantees. I don't care who you are, guys. How much money you got, what search firm you use, what connections you have. Nobody knows if a hire is going to work, and they're riding that merry-go-round once again here. You know Albert, right, is the AD making that call? Yeah, 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 yeah. Trub Albert is making the AD, and guys, they've got stacks of money. They sit on a mountain of money. They can write a check as big as anybody wants, but they've been throwing money at problems for years. Money doesn't solve every problem you got. I, I just think that Nebraska – Indiana basketball's kind of had this issue. I think Notre Dame football had it for a few years there where the combination of other programs around you elevated. So in basketball for Indiana, for example, you know, Xavier's good now and Cincinnati's good now and, you know, et cetera, right? Michigan State has become a national power in the last 25 years. But in addition to that, the thing, Tom, that made Nebraska so unique was for so long they were able to get the big, strong, in-the-trenches, lineman, corn-fed Nebraska players. It was a foregone conclusion. Those players were coming to Nebraska. Then you complement them with being able to go out and get, like, say, some Lawrence Phillips Junior College kids that wanted to play behind those big lines. Well, now, in today's day, the world is just a much smaller place. So a kid from Carney, Nebraska doesn't feel like he has to stay in Lincoln for mom and dad to see him play football. Hell, he can go play at Central Florida and they can watch him on their iPad every single day uh, <laughs> while they're out on the on the combine. You know what I mean? So just all the advantages for a Nebraska kind of just through technology and the change of the world have, have gone away a little bit, right? And they've just – it's almost like at no fault of their own. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah you, that, that, that's fine. We could watch him on, on, on his eye watch while he's driving his car. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I, I think those are great points. The world's going to become a smaller place. We live in you know, global villages, somebody once said. And, um, you know, a lot of the advantages in Nebraska sort of crafted for itself in the 70s and 80s and 90s are gone. Um, remember, guys, there were the scholarship limits were, were much bigger back in those days. And they, they finally got brought down to 85 I don't know, in the mid to late 90s, the academic requirements in Nebraska while they're in the Big 8, Big 12 weren't, let's just say, rigorous. And they've, they've, they've been tightened out there, and I think that's had an impact on them as well. Uh, and, and, and they were one of the first schools, guys, who really embraced that weight room culture too. Uh, built that first massive weight room and, and, and just really dedicated themselves to almost a year-round program there. And everybody does the same stuff now, and they they have no real edge on anybody from a training standpoint as well, or even a facility standpoint. Although the facilities are very nice, so. And then just you know what, two guys, another big issue for Nebraska, and this is this is it's an issue for a lot of schools. Maybe it's not a great excuse for Nebraska. It's there's no recruiting base. Um, there's nobody to recruit within a 200, 180 mile radius of Lincoln, Nebraska. You got to get on a plan to get everybody. And people think, well, they should have never left the Big 12 because they could always recruit Texas because they had Texas schools in the Big 12. Well, I, I think you can still go to Texas and get guys. But anyway, uh, you have to cast a very wide net at Nebraska. And uh, the challenges are there. You got to get guys on campus. And once you get them on campus, I think you can sell them. But sometimes it's hard to get them there. 
The line is climbing. 12 and a half. Last I saw, Purdue is an underdog for a noon kick. And the Aiden O'Connell injury watch continues. And expect another vague answer coming up this evening. Tom, always enjoy your insight. Uh, it's a big one on Saturday. Could be Austin Burton again. And uh, hopefully we'll have you on here uh, sometime in October. Stay tuned up. I'm leaving tomorrow. And, yeah, call anytime, fellas. Love it. Thank you, Tom. Have you been to a game in Lincoln? No, and you got to go to Barry's. If you go to Lincoln, you got to go to Barry's. It's not on like the premium bucket list. It's probably on it at some you know some place. But if Maddie heard that like a Nebraska football game was on my sports bucket list, she'd be like, "What the hell? Yeah, what else is on there? Uh, you know, sold out Saturday night, right? Um, they've sold out for like two hundred and some odd straight games, right? Now I think the IU analogy is a hair harsh. Ooh. Nebraska football is in a dark, dark place right now. I, I get it. So is Indiana. I mean, Indiana. I mean, right now, no. They no, won Kevin, some Big Ten out. championships in the last ten okay. years. What's Nebraska done? Hear, Tom hear just out. said 1999, the last conference championship. They came here in the Big Ten title game. It was one of the first years. But hear me out. They play in a joke of a division. Nebraska is a football program. Who? Let's look this up real quick. Nebraska is a football program that had a fine tradition through the 50s, you know, the what you know, three yards in a cloud of dust, et cetera, et cetera. And they had a strong rivalry with Nebraska, Oklahoma through the 50s that was really, you know, the big eight. That was big time famous, and they were um, blue blood, like by the book in terms of X's and O's football. And then. They made a they made a change, if you will, and in 1973 they hired a new head coach named Tom Osborne. And Tom Osborne was the coach there for 25 years, something like that. And in that time, he won what? How many national titles? Three, I'm guessing something somewhere around there. And. Yeah, he won three national championships in that time, 1973 to 1997. And then things kind of went awry, and I can't remember if he retired, or but they've been chasing it ever since. They went out, and they had that Frank Solis, this is the guy. This is, They got out to a great start. Oh, my goodness, we found the guy. And then, you know, um, Bill Callahan, this is the guy. Oh, he's you know he's got NFL experience. Bo Pelini. Bo Pelini. And now they're just sitting around, and they're, it's a bunch of people that sit around and talk about how great they were when Tom Osborne was there. And they never should have gotten around to Tom Osborne. Tom Osborne never should have left, yada, yada, yada. Indiana basketball had great traditions, had great rivalries with Kentucky, had a great coach in the 50s, won titles, then kind of went through a lull, and then in 1972 hired a new coach. Stayed for 29 years, won three national titles. He leaves. Yeah, they've had some coaches since that. Oh, Tom Crean, this is the guy. Oh, Mike Davis had some early success. Going to be great. Don't worry about it. And then they went into the ranks of a guy who has pro experience, so he's going to be able to awaken the ghosts. And it looks like Indiana's on the right path. No question. No doubt about it. As of right now, 
for this particular year, you are correct. Indiana is in a much better place than Nebraska football. No doubt about it. And I guess that's where I'm focused, Jake. But kind in, in the terms last of, 10 years. Right. But in terms of the fanaticism, the reason that Nebraska football has 125,000 people tailgating and 100,000 inside the stadium and does every single Saturday is because it's people that are chasing the high of the known glory that Nebraska once represented. And for Indiana basketball – even when Archie Miller is missing the tournament for the school for the fourth time in six years or whatever it might be, Indiana still has a fanaticism and people still hang the calendars in barbershops and people still wait to see like where the games are going to be on because they're chasing the high of annually waiting to see if they're going to be a number one seed. Not to continue the chasing the high analogy, but they're closer to the high than Nebraska is right now. Again, Nebraska's Mike Woodson hire just failed like none other in Scott Frost. Right. But what I'm saying to you, Kevin, is it, like they've been a in joke a, in a 12 month vacuum. You are correct. I'm saying in totality. But you over can extend the, it. Tom Crean won Big Ten titles again. In the grand scheme of the totality of of the understanding of the last like say 40 years in the trajectory of the timelines. In other words, like yeah, I don't you know. They are very on par with one another in terms of where they have been versus where they are. I, sure, Indiana right now has more of a heartbeat than Nebraska football does, but Indiana has barely a heartbeat compared to what it once was in college basketball 30 years ago, just as Nebraska in totality has nearly a heartbeat of what they were 30 years ago in college football. And the they are both programs if if nebraska is going to be able to get to where mike woodson has indiana right now it's because there is the fan base the support system and the proof and belief of where they can be because they've been there before that continues to carry them through that they have the financial support that a colorado or a minnesota or an illinois does not have because of where they've been and the knowledge people have of what it's like and that's where the two have that in common that indiana was also able to sustain the inconsistency of the Crean years and the darkness of the archie miller and late mike davis years because of that same stead belief over two different eras where they were concurrent with one another's success what a wild year in the Big Ten West. Iowa can't score. Wisconsin is nowhere near the Wisconsin that we're used to. Northwestern wins a game in Dublin, and now they stink. Um, Purdue is thinking to themselves for a minute they're going to be a little bit better than they have been in recent years or maybe could flirt with being in the mix come November, and now they face a huge one on Saturday to largely decide what they're Big Ten fate's going to look like. And, like, Minnesota's the overwhelming favorite. Minnesota went out and got themselves a guy, and they made a good high. And, and you know what? P.J. Fleck, I mean, when he was at Western Michigan and rowing the boat, and we thought he was kind of a gimmick guy, and they had huge success. And, Kevin, there are a lot of people that might have pulled the plug on that after a few years. What's he been there in Minnesota now? Four years, something like that? And, you know, sometimes with those mid-majors, you go after the hot hand. Sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you get Archie Miller, sometimes you get P.J. Fleck. I think it's just a tad harsh throwing Nebraska in there with IU over the last decade. Nebraska's I'm been not in- talking about the last decade. I'm talking about the last 50 years. The trajectory of the two is almost identical. And like I said, Indiana has... Current trajectory couldn't look more different, though. 
I don't know that I agree with that because I think that if if Nebraska Nebraska's like five years behind, Nebraska just went through their Archie Miller with Scott Frost and in hope and fandom five years a long time. I I don't again depending on how old you are. If you're fifty, it's not. Do if, people view Nebraska as like they're a head coach higher away of yes being the, like yes to Tom's point? Where's the recruiting pipeline? Uh, Where's the modern-day approach? When Nebraska was great, football was played a whole lot differently than it's played now. When Indiana was great, basketball was played a whole lot differently than it's played now. But the recruiting pipeline you still feel like is relevant for Indiana, and they clearly are recruiting at a high level. Nebraska, I I just don't see that happening with with a coaching hire. If Nebraska – there's a reason why, and I'm not saying this guy can coach anymore. I'm not saying this guy's a great coach. But in terms of hot names, there's a reason why – when Urban Meyer, when rumor got out there that Urban Meyer want, might want to return to coaching, what are the two schools that were consistently where his name was mentioned that he could go? One of them was Nebraska, right? People were like, is Urban Meyer going to go to Nebraska? I, I mean, I st- because of the fan base, Kevin, I mean, you don't get a hundred and literally 150,000 people every single weekend for a college football game. That entices coaches. Power is intoxicating. Attention is intoxicating. And payroll is intoxicating. So, yes, if they want to go out and get they, – they completely swung and missed on Scott Frost, but he was a, an alum. He was their Steve Alford. It was like if they would have hired Steve Alford coming off of Southwest Missouri State when they went to the Sweet 16, slam dunk, let's hire him. And then if Steve Alford would have had the success at Indiana that he had at, say, Iowa, which wasn't terrible, but not that standard, then he would have been jettisoned along. That's exactly what they just went through. They're simply like one rotation behind. So now they go out, and Callahan might have been a fine coach for him. I don't think they gave him enough time. But I'm telling you, like like I told you, when, when I went to Nebraska and walked up to two guys my age and said, I am from the school, it was like I was saying, like, I am from the future. I am from the school that is your equivalent in basketball in terms of mirroring the trajectory and the place where both programs are. And the guy literally looked right at me and goes, Indiana, man, how you doing? Welcome to Nebraska. Again, it's all relative based on the, the prism and the spectrum. But if you're going over looking at, at it in a 50-year time frame, the, the, the trajectory and the path of the two programs are very similar. Indiana, to your point, is fortunate that right now they seem to have found a flashlight in the darkness. And Nebraska is still trying to change the batteries. And where they go, I mean, I'm in agreement with you of it may be – Kevin, it might be done for Nebraska football, but it may be done for Indiana basketball. I mean, Indiana basketball might still be good, but are they going to automatically now put themselves back into the category of Kentucky, Kansas, and North Carolina and Duke? That remains to be seen. Did not have the Nebraska talk on the bingo card for today, but – that's where we're at right now. That's Purdue. right. I did. I, it was a corner spot. A corner spot? Okay. Yeah. It wasn't the free space? No. Uh, Purdue and Minnesota, again, that is a noon kick coming up on Saturday. It will be Indiana, ironically enough, at Nebraska. Uh, that'll be Saturday night. IU, a three-and-a-half-point underdog in that one. Back into the Pacers conversation and Colts conversation coming up. Let's hit a morning check down. The morning check down. Brought to you by Ball State Football. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com. Omaha! On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. 
Colts had a long injury report yesterday with some notable names on it. Jonathan Taylor, a very rare appearance with a toe injury there. Still fully expect him to play on Sunday, but obviously anytime you see his name on the injury report, it catches your eye. DeForest Buckner, elbows. Stephon Gilmore, hamstring. Ryan Kelly, knee. Yannick Ngakwe, looks like some maintenance with that back injury. And Julian Blackman, no word yet on his ankle severity. The Ryan Kelly one stands out to me, Jake. When you have had the pass protection issues that you've had this season and communication to me is the biggest reason for the consistent issues you've had, I would really want my center out there with Matt Ryan during practice. Yeah, I'm telling you. We mentioned it earlier, Kevin. If there's one guy on this roster that their struggles probably has is the most contagious, if that makes sense, or the one that most has the rippling effect, it would be center, would it not? Over... Kenny Moore? Kenny Moore would be the other one, right? And, I mean, think about this, Jake. Danny Pinter's had issues at right guard, and now I assume yesterday you had to move him over to center. Correct. So there's just – there is a domino effect there. Um, again, today's injury report will be big. Tennessee, they are very beat up. Their injury report might not look as, like, jarring as the Colts' initial one. That's because their good guys are on IR and Harold Landry and Taylor Lewan. Were we supposed to go to sound there, Kevin? Yeah, whatever. Screw that up. Who cares? No, Throw me off there, Kev. That's on me. <laughs> Pittsburgh Pirates over the Reds yesterday, 4-3 in Major League Baseball. By the way, that's a rematch of the 1979 National League Championship Series. Uh, Cubs over the Phillies, 4-2. That's a rematch of the first night game in Wrigley Field history, which was later scrapped because it got rained out. Is this the pop quiz today? Uh, Brewers over the Cardinals, 5-1. That's a rematch of the 1982 World Series. I'm actually just seeing how far I can go down here. I want more Westminster of noted rematches. Should we mention Aaron Judge? Dodgers over the Padres, one nothing. That's a rematch of the world's largest Macarena that I was a part of when the Padres and Dodgers played in 1996. Mm-hmm. And the New York Yankees yesterday, 8-3 over the Toronto Blue Jays. It was not a rematch of, but rather live in person. Aaron Judge hitting 61 home runs, which is a rematch of or a replay of when Roger Maris hit 61 in 1961, which was 61 years and ago. And the 3-2. Joe deep to left field. This could be it. See ya! He's done it! Number 61! He's been chasing history, and now he makes it! He and Roger Maris are tied with 61 home runs! John Starling, is that what you were asking? I think I so, think right? I think that's right, yeah. That not, was not a, a terrible call, but... That was a bullet by Aaron Judge, 61 there. Um, feel bad for the fan. Tried to make an attempt at it with the glove. Falls he looked like bullpen. he was going to puke in his glove after he dropped that ball. Again, I think if you're, you know, Mark, if that was you or I and that, you know, you drop it in the bullpen, I think I push you in the bullpen and there's some sympathy down there. I'll go to jail to grab that ball. Take a broken arm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? I mean, what's that ball worth? Got to be six Six, figures. Six figures. He gave the ball to his mom. Did you see that? I saw that. Now to 62, that ball becomes more important, right? Yeah. I'd say so. So do you think his mom's cheering for him not to hit another one? Do you think she can succeed? I think Roger Maris Jr. is just happy he doesn't have to keep traveling with the team. He's like, finally! I, I think it's it is, over now. I think it is pretty cool that he does that, though. Now, he's probably here's, done with it, though. After it took like a week and a half. He's like, well, and plus, here's the question. Would Roger Maris Jr. be traveling to C61 if it was, you know, somebody for the Mets? Or is it because it was a Yankee and the first American League player and the first Yankee to do it since Roger Maris that he followed along. I have to imagine. The or is he like, am I yeah, stuck that's a good with question. This, you know, like if if he must have a lot of paid time off. <laughs> <laughs> it's the royalties from the Roger Maris Museum, Kevin. right? <laughs>
He's making huge money. He's probably retired, right? What? What? Imagine if he's actually sixty-one. God. What are the odds? Thursday night football tonight. Um, what is it? Four point spread. What Last is his I birthday's saw? June first. Three and a half. Three and a half. Cincinnati favored over Miami. Does sound like Tua is going to give it a go tonight. Um, this is a good one for Thursday night football. The Bengals really need it. Uh, just kind of crazy to look at Miami. So, will the Dolphins seventy-two undefeated team? Will they still pop champagne? Of if course. The Dolphins of lose? course. Roger Maris Jr. Uh, sixty-three. Oof. Really mm-hmm. close. Wow. Okay. Will you guys wake up and watch the London game Sunday morning? Saints and Vikings. So 61's what his dad hit. 62 surpassed him, and 63 is his age. Mm-hmm. See? Okay. Uh, I'll probably be up and watching it, yeah. The girls usually get us up on Sunday morning, so I'll did probably have it on. Did see his announced yesterday by the NFL, and obviously I don't think we've mentioned today. Certainly our thoughts to everyone in the path of Hurricane Ian. Um, they mentioned that Tampa and Kansas City would be moved to Minneapolis um, for Sunday night football. Uh, I think they're going to kind of assess where things are today and probably make a final decision in the next 24 hours. The Vikings in London this weekend, so that obviously allows for the uh, Bucks and Chiefs to potentially play up in Minnesota. All right, Scott Agnes, he's going to join us next. Pacers had their second training camp practice less than a week away from the preseason opener. We'll chat with him next about the Pacers. Pacers training camp underway. That means our next guest over at Fieldhouse Files is a must. That is Scott Agnes. It's honestly been a pretty busy offseason for him. Uh, But second practice of training camp underway. The preseason will open up on Wednesday, and then the regular season opens up. I think it's like the 18th or 19th of October. Yeah, 19th, the Wizards. That will be the season opener for the Pacers here in a very different-looking season for Indiana. Scott Agnes is with us on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Scott, anything stand out to you from media day? I thought Rick Carlisle, I, you know, part of me thinks it's coach speak, but just the we'll play at least 10 guys, seeing if he holds true to that night in and night out, I think is something that stood out to me. Obviously, I had Miles Turner talk about his trade situation. Anything else really stand out to you? Uh, not really. I think more so just so many of the new guys just, talking about their excitement just to learn and kind of play together, um, which uh, just all these new parts being put together. But otherwise, I think the overwhelming theme was, hey, we don't even have expectations. We just want to see progress. Scott, this roster to me, Kevin and I have used the word intriguing and exciting. Um, I'm not necessarily saying they're going to result in a lot of wins for this year. I think we all know what's taking place here. But – uh, not named Benedict Matherin and not named Miles Turner. The player that kind of most intrigues you to see what he can do this year is who? You'll love this one, Isaiah Jackson. Oh, hell yeah. I mean, th- there's there's a lot of just general excitement, I think, after a guy's rookie season because that summer is always a big one for him. They kind of have an understanding of the game, understand the league, kind of the schedule, the routine, all of that. They figure out, oh, man, I really need to improve here, X, Y, and Z. I thought I was good, but I really wasn't. So I'm, I'll be curious to see all the offseason work and kind of how he um, turns that into a, a greater role with more to being dependent on him. Scott, I'm curious your thoughts on Bob Kravitz's story yesterday, Miles Turner related. Jake and I had a pretty long discussion about it, and I think – Jake's a little bit more open-minded to thinking that Miles and the Pacers could have a future after the season. Bob seemed to slam the door shut on any sort of idea 
along those lines. Uh, where do you think things stand potentially 2023 and beyond, I guess 2023, 2024 season and beyond with Miles Turner in Indiana? Yeah, I think it's much more likely that he is elsewhere only because they've already invested in, in younger guys. And you can kind you can see that's the path they're going probably headlined by the guy I was just talking about um, in Isaiah Jackson in the front court. Um, and Miles, on the other side of things, one, he's going to want to get paid. And two, if he can also be in a winning situation, he needs to get back to that, wants to get back to that. He's never gotten out of the first round of the playoffs. So, you know, the first few years he was after he was drafted here, he, he was able to be on some of those teams that had success still when the Pacers were almost always in the playoffs. Well, that's unfamiliar territory for him, and actually so many. Tyrese hasn't yet. Buddy Heald, been in the league like six years, hasn't reached the postseason. Um, so I think, I think a combination of all those factors. I don't rule out a return. I just generally see it as highly unlikely um, at this point. The guy that um, I had kind of forgotten about, quite frankly, Scott Agnes, and then I'm, I went to the media avail the other day, and I, I oh, yeah, that's right that I think could be like a found $10 bill in your pocket. Aaron Neesmith, the young player that they got from, I believe, Boston that was a lot – I mean, he was a former lottery pick, but it just kind of hadn't taken off for him. Do you think they actually have a defined role for him, or is he a kind of a gravy, let's see what we got here kind of guy? I think they will, yeah. He's been running with the second unit right now, and and he's the one. You you go back to one of your first questions, the guys that – you're most intrigued to see perhaps he's among that group, probably less so only because of the unfamiliarity uh, that most people have with him. Um, That all going down with the trade that was basically just to move on from Malcolm Brogdon. But if he could crack, if he could really hit something here and it doesn't have to be an all-star level at all, but even if he could become ideally a starter, but maybe a rotation player in the long term then you really had something. Um, so it, it, that was one of the intriguing pieces being brought back. Anytime you can get a lottery pick. I mean, we saw Lat's trade deadline with, with Jalen Smith, for example. I'm not sure any of us expected him to go off the way he did and then become a, a phenomenon and trying to keep him. Um, I, I still, from what I've seen, still a little bit raw, still a little bit kind of unsure, still trying to figure out his way and navigate his way through the NBA. But that's not all too surprising. Hasn't got a ton of reps, has never had a consistent role. Now he can be in a system where he's more of a featured uh, player. And I'm not sure what to expect, but I, I think I think he'll produce much more than he had in the past. Yeah, if he can just sniff what Jalen Smith showed you and, and right. know, I guess kind of projecting forward, you know, Duarte, Benedict Mather, and Tyrese Halliburton, if that's your one, two, three, you know, in, in the backcourt. If Neesmith can kind of be the first guard off the bench, I, I think that looks good. Guard wing, I think that would be ideal. I know Summer League was not good for him at all. Granted, he was thrown into a very chaotic situation with when that trade went down. But, yeah, he is one that I'm on on the list of curious to watch. Um, Scott, do you think Benedict Matherin starts, or do you think they bring him off the bench and start Buddy Heald and Chris Tuarte? Yeah, I think right now the plan's kind of what I had expected, which is to bring him off the bench. Now, things might change after some preseason games here, but I, I'd keep Buddy Heald with Tyrese. He's also the veteran. And then and Chris Duarte, you know, going into year two as well. And, and if anything, 
you kind of make the rookie earn it a little bit. Um, I don't think you just give it to him right away. Now, certainly you need a high volume of minutes for guys like Benedict, like Chris Duarte, Isaiah Jackson. That's what this year needs to be about is those guys getting their 25, 30 minutes per game to, to knock off and check off these game reps and, and try to speed their way through it as much as they can. But I, I tend to believe Matherin will come off the bench, but I would not be surprised if a month or two in uh, he's back in the starting lineup. Scott Agnes of Fieldhouse Files is our guest. Scott, in terms of the uh, – and I realize that you're you you know you're not in there picking up a ball and, and running with the team itself. But in terms of tone, you know, the first day of practice I think was a lighter one. People were surprised by that. Players were relieved and surprised by that. What's the intensity been so far, or has it, has it ramped up at all in any way, shape, or form? Based on what coach and players have said, it seems to be the case. Yesterday, after the second practice, Rick said they've been running and, and playing to exhaustion. And so if you go off of that, I, I think that's quite interesting as guys try to get back in shape and such. I think usually day one is just kind of it, kind of that first day back at school where you can take it easy or figuring out where your desk is. Um, one coach is instructing on this, the co- next coach on that. Now, we're not in there for any of that but it sounds like the activity level has picked up and and the so is the competition especially defensively they've been doing these defensive drills especially towards the end of practice and uh the fact that the guys are making sure we know who won shows that it is that competitive it was the second unit on day one and yesterday was the starting group scott last one from me um there's probably some people that will attend a Pacers game this season that haven't been in the building since pre-COVID. Yeah. You know, a ton of renovations. I know you've been all over that story. Uh, for those that walk into Gamebridge Fieldhouse for the first time in a few years, what do you think will be kind of the biggest things that they notice about not only the in-game experience, but just the building in general? Yeah, I'd say when they walk in, the fact that you better not – cash does you nothing. you got to remember it's all uh, cashless. Um, credit cards, mobile ticketing, by the way. Then you get inside the bowl, and you'd see a giant new video board, those couple bars that go underneath each the east and west side, which changes kind of how things look within the lower level. Um, And then outside of that, something I have not seen yet is when you look up towards the west stands, they kind of have what I refer to uh, from Colts games, which should, I think, be more like the Bud Light zone, where you're kind of hanging out, socializing, and grabbing a drink during the game. So those might be among the, the main new features. Oh, and by the way, yeah, there's a Chick-fil-A inside. I know that's a big hit, too. Oh, and probably not a lot of Sunday games in the NBA, so that'll be a frequent stop. There's well, a new one that just yeah, opened yeah, up on Washington. Can they, can they sell Chick-fil-A at concessions on a Sunday in a venue? They cannot. I, I believe no. in the Falcons arena there's a Chick-fil-A, and they're kind of like, wait, what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it makes no sense. But yet they still clean up, right? And then yeah, obviously, no obviously they got concerts and soccer games and whatnot. But yeah, okay. Now the Scott, listen the the arena. I, you know, I got to go through there the other day, and you know it is amazing. There is no doubt. And people that go down are going to be blown away by the options. There is a part of me, and I think the Pacers know this. It's the world that we live in, especially in trying to compete with you know the LA's and the Miami's of the world. But Scott, I'll ask you. There is a part of me that almost felt sad because I felt like um, the game experience is now completely gone from the the typical fan. Am I being too harsh? 
Not entirely. I, I think one, I want to see it kind of when we're back in full gear again. Um, it's now I think we're kind of pushed through a lot of all that COVID stuff. So, you know, you're really not seeing mass. You hopefully have people a little bit more comfortable going to games and such. But to your larger point, I think it's a little bit more stale. I do, especially the lower level where it's got um, those two entryways to the bar. One of the big aesthetics parts for me that I miss are the green seats and how it looks in the bowl. Now I think if you pop on a, a college basketball game that just so happened to be here, or I guess any other Pacer game, you don't look at the uniforms. Is it Atlanta? Wait, is it Brooklyn? Is it Memphis? I think you lost a little of that. However, the upgrade should help um, just create a, a better entertainment experience. I'll be curious what kind of a fan engagement both the Pacers and this venue, though, provide this year. Scott, last one. Um, I wouldn't be – we've had you on for now, you know, consistently <laughs> 19 straight weeks or whatever, and you got to sneak in a Bally sports question. Um, I believe that that package begins like today or tomorrow. I thought it was late September is when the Bally Sports Plus, um, you can purchase that. You can't watch the first two preseason games. Is that correct, though? Yeah, I think they're doing just the the second two, which are both at home. um, Is there any way we can watch those first two preseason games? Like, do they stream, though? Like. So this is always one of the biggest questions, I think, and I don't have it. I think if you have DirecTV – Usually there's some kind of alternative channel. Sometimes League Pass picks it up. Sometimes it doesn't. And honestly, usually I just find some wild stream that is going there. There's generally no official way um, to find the other two games that are not televised. God, I feel like when I do that, I'm always afraid my laptop's going to blow up. I know, right? And one thing I've been pushing for, I would love, because other teams are doing this too, I'd love Pacers.com to pick them up. Right. Like, all... Every game is technically streamed to an extent, right? At, at worst, they have the one overhead camera um, that's moving along. You technically wouldn't even need announcers. Um, and a lot of places, even, they'll, they'll pick up the, the in-house, in-game feed at the arena. And so at least you'll have the PA announcer and a feed. I'd love to see that at minimum to make sure every fan can watch all, every game this season if they wanted to. Like I can watch, you know, Purdue scrimmage athletes in action, but I can't watch the Pacers and the Knicks in the preseason opener? You can watch the Dolphins practice on Twitter from some guy right. who snuck yeah. in, right? Yeah, different <laughs> stadium, exactly. The, the, it just seems a bit Dolphins odd to me, and I know it's more of a league-wide thing, but like you said, stream it on a website, I is. Assume the Knicks will uh, – is it the Knicks for the opener? I keep on saying that. I don't even know what the, who the preseason opener is. You know, w- uh, Charlotte and then the Knicks. Okay, so Charlotte, you know, I assume that their bally or whatever will air it. I, I, I don't know. I'd, hell, give me a two-buck I mean, package. The Knicks are owned by the cable network that airs them, so they probably have some pretty decent coverage rights, right? Correct. You would think. <laughs> you would think. Yeah, MSG Network. And, and to your point, Kevin, the, the Bally Sports Plus – Went live earlier this week on the 26th, but I think it'd be foolish for any fan to do it right now. You get a seven-day free trial, there's no game. So I think we probably won't have any indication or, I don't know, responses um, or feedback maybe here for another two or three weeks here as people really dive into it. I will say League Pass is really interesting this year because Microsoft took over the back end of it. So I'm really curious to see how much they cleaned up, perhaps streamlined it. after taking over that from Turner Broadcasting. 
Scott, before we let you go, uh, feel free to plug Fieldhouse Files. For those that aren't following you over there, aren't subscribing, it's an absolute must. So uh, feel free to uh, let us know how to get access there. Yeah, I appreciate it. Just fieldhousefiles.com. If you subscribe, the stories go right to your inbox and hit on a, a few things, media day, um, what the emphasis on defense. And, and then today, the fact that having such a young camp, it's led to a lot more instruction and, and videos and, and breakdown different stuff versus kind of picking up the ball and, and getting after another season. So very interesting things over there at St. Vincent Center. Scott Agnes, Fieldhouse Files. He's with us every Thursday here on Kevin and Corey. Thank you, Scott. Hey, thanks, guys. Hey, Jake Adam Schefter just tweeted out what we were talking about earlier in the show, the first mispractice of Jonathan Taylor's meaningful football career. That would be high school, college, or professionally. Uh, a toe injury for Jonathan Taylor. Some soreness developed after the game. On Sunday, again, fully expect him to play, but I just think it's a reminder, Jake, of, and our next guest certainly knows this with Derrick Henry, of what wear and tear can do at that position. And a toe injury. What was Henry's foot, right, last year? Yeah, Derrick Henry seems to... That's the body part you want to avoid. Right. If you can. And so Taylor has been extremely rare and extremely durable in the definition of a workhorse, but... It's just, I think, something to monitor as the carries continue to build up for him over his career. So let's bring in our next guest who covers the Tennessee Titans. Teron Davenport joins us on the Payless Liquors guest line. And Teron, I'll begin with this. And and when I say it, I give you full permission to later tonight at dinner say you are not going to believe what some idiot in Indianapolis on the radio asked me. Um, But outsider observation, look, I I just think Derrick Henry is just – an unbelievable talent and just such a unique talent. But are we already starting to see, because of the wear and tear through college, high school, everything else, are we starting to see any slowdown on Derrick Henry? No, you're not really seeing a slowdown on Derrick Henry. He traditionally starts a little bit slower and gets going as the season goes on. But The big thing with Henry this year has been how many times he's been hit at or behind the line of scrimmage, and that's something that continues to happen. And when you look at the first couple games, uh, entering last week, he was hit almost half of the times he ran the ball. You know, you were talking about 16 out of 34 carries. He has some contact at or behind the line of scrimmage. So that's really what you're seeing. This is an offense that's still trying to – get back and in sync as far as the rushing attack is concerned and it's it's a gradual process Toronto kind of building off that again Toronto Davenport from ESPN.com is with us I think I saw a stat like he's averaging maybe 0.3 yards before contact it's the lowest of any running back with at least 50 carries this year like again to your point it feels like just opposing defensive lines have really owned the line of scrimmage and have not Mm -hmm. allowed Henry much room to work and you look at the Colts and they're the number one ranked run defense in the NFL it seems like for him in particular he's a guy that you know and any running back is like this but you know you give Henry a couple free yards and then all of a sudden you let those that pad level and 250 pounds get to you and it can be the end of it whereas if you can hit him early and kind of gang tackle uh, that seems to be the recipe that is you know limited Henry from his typical production this season that is the exact recipe it's fine uh you know, a crease, 
get to him and rally to the football before he could get momentum because they like to get him downhill. They run those stretch plays. They run, uh, you know, outside zone, and he could put his foot in the ground and cut it back, and he gets to the second level. He typically will break a linebacker's tackle, and once he does that, it's a foot race, and he usually wins those. So you're exactly right with how to, to defend him, and, and that's really that's what's happening. Teron, this is going to sound um, also, again, maybe a little bit harsh or naive. I don't know. I, I, I just got this feeling, and I want you to tell me if, if it's off base. Not that Tennessee is coming back down to the level of going to miss the playoffs. I'm not saying that. But in the AFC South, there was so much worry in Indianapolis about the Titans, and that's always been the benchmark, that it feels to me like maybe Tennessee is starting to regress a little bit and Jacksonville is really starting to, to find its footing and that those two might be two ships passing in the night. Do you agree with that? Well, I don't know about two ships passing in the night, but I think that the gap has definitely been closed. And all that Jaguars team needed, because they have an awful lot of talent, all they needed was a little bit of hope. And that win that they got, you know, the 24 to nothing win over the Colts, that that gave them a lot of it, you know. And uh, when you have a bunch of young players, uh, and, and especially with a new experienced coach like Doug Peterson coming in, you know, I, I watched him with the Eagles in 16 and 17 just really turn things around and, and, and get those guys to believe in themselves. And it's just when you have that, you know, young guys that get a critical win, they start really believing in things and buying in. And once you get that buy-in as a program – you're definitely going to be competitive. Now, when you look at the Titans, there's been a, a, an exodus of, of talent, right? A.J. Brown, you know, gone. And and you guys know what he has done to the Colts when yeah, yeah. Henry was held to under 100 yards. And then you look at Harold Landry, injured. Bud Dupree will probably be back. But there's been a lot of talent. You, you know, John o. Smith, gone. So you're seeing the gap being closed because of that. Teron Davenport is with us. It's at T Davenport underscore NFL on Twitter. He covers the Titans for ESPN.com. Uh, kind of going off the A.J. Brown trade, the Harold Landry season-ending injury, the Taylor Lewan season-ending injury, do you rank it in that order of impact in terms of their losses, Brown, Landry, and then Taylor Lewan? Yeah, that, that's how I would rank it. And the problem, what you're seeing right now, is teams will put the whole city that they play for inside the box. They don't care about the guys on the outside. They don't feel threatened by them. And they used to try to do that before, and A.J. Brown would murder one-on-one matchups. Right now, they're not consistently winning those one-on-one matchups. Robert Woods, Traylon Burks, Nick Westbrook, and Kenan. These guys aren't winning those matchups, and they have to win that. And that's why I talked to Traylon Burks about this. And, and he said he takes it personally, but uh, it's fine to Danny to do that. But you got to show that you take it personally on the field. And I think that's really where the problem is. And that's why A.J. Brown is the number one missing piece for them. Now, when you look at Harold Landry, obviously he's a guy that not only brings it on the pass rush side of things, he's a very strong run defender as well. But when you take him out, that that you lose your your best pass rusher, you you lose your closer, and I'm talking about situationally too. He had 12 sacks last year. Seven of those 12 came on third down. 
that's when it's time to get off the field, and he was the guy helping them do that. So that's something that they really lose. Now, as far as Luan is concerned, you know, that is a, that's a locker room presence that they lose. They like to run left, and uh, that whole left side of their offensive line now is, is retooled, right, because Roger Saffold is gone. He, he's in, in Buffalo, and, and, and Luan is gone as well. So they are traditionally a left-handed team. They have to kind of balance that out now because, in fact, the strength of their line is on the right with Nicholas Petit-Ferrar, the rookie, and Nate Davis. Teron Davenport is our guest. He's on the Payless Liquors guest line. He is the Titans writer and NFL writer for ESPN.com. Teron, um, the the backup quarterback is always the most popular guy in town. People in Indianapolis have known that for a long time. But in the case of Tennessee, did they get enough glimpse – in preseason and just through camp to find out and determine whether or not Malik Willis is the future once Ryan Tannehill's time has come? Oh, they believe he's the future. They believe that when they drafted him. But it's just a work in progress. That's a a developmental thing, and that's the approach that they've taken. But the thing that's really good about Malik Willis in the preseason, he's layered each game, and he just got better in exact moments each game and and you you saw him you know initially have a play action glance route that he stared down and didn't throw it and got you know he got 18 yards but you know it was you got to get the ball to your playmaker you know he tucked it and ran the next game he uh ended up you know throwing that and it was a big big play on the first game of the uh, first play of the game and then you look at the second game he had Traylon Burks on a crossing route he didn't get him the football but then in the third in the third game, he got him the football in the same play. So you're seeing that type of progress. He's made it a point to really make things happen from from the pocket. Just when it's clean, to stay in there and not vacate it uh, prematurely. And that's that's big progress for a quarterback like Malik Willis coming out of Liberty. So there's there's been you know really good signs, and they believe he's the future for sure. And you know, half the battle, Teron. You know, you've been around the game. I, half the battle with young quarterbacks is finding guys that are perfectly capable and willing to understand everything you just said and kind of let it happen organically as opposed to coming in and needing the reps right away. What has been his mental approach in terms of, um, you know, has he shown to be a, a mature guy in terms of the understanding of the learning that is necessary in the NFL through the acclimation? I really I think that's his biggest strength. And I, I remember talking. Well, that's a big one too, and, isn't it? What's that? That's a big one too. I mean, if there's one, you know what I mean. Like that's that's kudos to him because that's a strength that not many guys as young quarterbacks often have. Yeah. Well, see, the thing with him is, you, you look at just background. You know, he is a guy who's very strong in his face. He he he's a very mature young man. And that has allowed him to take the right approach to this mentally and just say, hey, look, I know I'm talented, but I need reps. And this is the only way that I'm going to get better. I need reps. I'm just going to be a sponge, absorb everything that QB coach Pat O'Hara, offensive coordinator Todd Downing, Ryan Tannehill, Logan Woodside, I'm just Mike Vrabel, all these things that these, these guys are telling me, I'm just going to absorb it, have a, a humble approach, and just – keep progressing and I think that's really the the way he's going about it and and that's just from talking to him you know multiple times uh, about it. he understands that you know reps are going to help him and whatever they're trying to teach him is just going to benefit him 
Teron, how bad would it have to get for Malik Willis to be a starting quarterback this season? I don't think I think barring injury, Ryan Tannehill is going to play it out. Uh, they're going to allow him. They they won't flip flop it. In my opinion, it's very unlikely. So um, even if it's two and, and fifteen, I, I don't think Willis will get too many starts. All right, last one for me. Then again, Teron Davenport is with us. You hear him often when the Colts and the Titans meet up. It'll be what two matchups and I think less than a month this season. Yeah, uh, between two the Colts, three weeks. Yeah, between the Colts and the Titans. Um, where would you call Tennessee's greatest strength right now? Where would you point to for their greatest weakness? Wow. <laughs> it's hard to find a strength, to be honest with you, uh, on this team. Uh, um, after Frank Wright said games. they're disguising up front, which probably falls in line with maybe the Colts' biggest question mark right now. It's just what the pass rush, you know, how can it disguise? I think obviously personnel, like you said, they've lost a lot in Landry, but that's where Frank Wright pointed to. Yeah, well, I guess you answered your own question, huh? <laughs> I don't <laughs> well, have to answer it. I want someone no, that's seen I, the I Titans think, a little more. I think really it, it's it's their their first half starts. That's that's their strength. They they've managed to to come out and score on their first drive in in, in three consecutive games, which is something they they don't normally do. So you know that, in my opinion, is, is their strength. Uh, just finding on, on those first drives the balance that that they need to have as far as running versus passing and just working the the ball down the field. Teron, are you a native of Nashville? I live in Nashville now, yes. But you didn't grow up did you grow up there? No, absolutely not. Okay. Do you enjoy Nashville because it's a Nashville to me is a fascinating place because when I was a kid, you know, it was just Opryland, right? And then now it's like this, it's become like Vegas of the East. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, it has. It's it's a lot different now. And even in the five years I've been here, I've seen a, a lot of expansion, a, a lot. Of, I'm actually sitting at, at my daughter's high school talking to you guys. And, and when I first got here, this school wasn't here. <laughs> and this neighborhood that I'm looking at wasn't here. So it definitely been a lot of expansion. So you're a Philly native, is that right? Correct. Yeah, so see, within by the time your daughter's out of school, Nashville's going to be bigger than Philly. That's how it feels, at least, right? Yeah, it is how it feels. And, you know, Philly is, is an area, it's a city that's in a bit of trouble, you know, with, with violent crime and, and things like that. Um, there was a, a record for, for murders last year and on pace to shatter that this year, so... Uh, that's that's the big concern in, in Philly. The violent crime is just is getting out of hand. Yep. I mean, it seems to be the case, unfortunately, a lot of places. Teron, do you yeah. think Nashville's going to get a Major League Baseball team? I'm praying that they do. I, I'm praying that they do. Uh, I, I lived the, the first – I was born in New York and lived, lived there the first 10 years. I'm a huge Mets fan. So uh, I would love to not have to go to Atlanta to, to see my Mets. So – yeah, if they could get a team here, uh, I really I, I would love it. It's it's something that they're working on. Dave Stewart, former yeah, Oakland A's pitcher, is the guy that's actually helping spearhead it. You know, Big there's... series coming up for your Mets, right? Uh, absolutely. Let's go. <laughs> Teron, actually, last question on this, because I do think this could have some meaning in Indianapolis. Um, which is Nashville, I guess, more conditioned for or more pushing towards? a Major League Baseball team, or an NBA team? Because I worry 
With the Pacers, I worry about Seattle and Nashville hanging around there and the possibility there. Yeah, there hasn't really been much from that perspective. You got the Memphis Grizzlies. Of course, that's two hours away, but that's more or less the the NBA team that, that, you know, is here, so to speak. Um, There's an actual push. There's a, a movement towards getting a baseball team here that's in existence. So I would say that's the direction that this city would go before basketball. It'll be this Sunday at Lucas Oil Stadium. And then, as Teron mentioned, these two teams will meet again down in Nashville October 23rd as the Colts will play five of their six AFC South games in the first seven weeks of the year. Teron, always enjoy our conversations, and hopefully we can do it again in a few weeks. For sure. Appreciate you guys. Take it easy. It's Teron Davenport right there from ESPN on the Payless Slickers hotline. Um, I thought this was interesting from Aaron, and this kind of falls – in line of some of your thinking, Jake, last week on picking the Colts. He goes, since many said it's so Colts to win last week, knowing everything Tennessee is dealing with right now, would it also be so Colts to lose this game? <sighs> or even so Titans to win this game? I feel I like just, Tennessee. I'm not sold on Tennessee. I kind of was last year. I'm not this year. Does that yeah, make sense? I, I am definitely not sold on them. But, Jake, if they have had a staple in Mike Vrabel's tenure, it's been every time they've counted, they've been counted out. They win. And last year when Henry went down, everyone's like, "Oh, season's over. Titans are done." What do they do? They go six and three without him, and they become the number one seed in the AFC. Remember the COVID year when Tennessee had to play like on a Tuesday against Buffalo, and they had like forty healthy dudes. And they beat the Bills on a Tuesday night. Yeah, I mean, I just. I don't know why it is, Kevin. I, I look at – maybe it's the injury status of Tennessee coming in, but but I just feel like, to Teron's point of Derrick Henry and the slow start, they, they rely so much on him. And without Brown there, you know, doesn't it feel like it's much easier to hone in on what you need yes. to do to corral Tennessee than it was a year ago? Yes. By the way, you're wearing your old-school Pacer hat today. I am, that's, uh-huh. that's from your uncle, right? Yeah, Uncle Tad. Mm-hmm. Yep, uh, works on the grounds crew over at the Indians games. Really? Done, done this year. Now, uh, by uncle, this is what relation? My mom's sister's husband. Okay, and he and he gave you that. that he he that is he, a massive collector. I don't think he's listening. Borderline hoarder of old school sports memorabilia, particularly in the baseball realm. So, was that a hat that he originally bought? Yes. So he didn't go like Goodwill and buy that hat. I no. couldn't buy. I couldn't wear a Goodwill hat. You know oh, really? What I mean? What's the oldest hat you own of yours? I had a few shifts back at Goodwill in the day for a little off the field issue, but and I really enjoyed my experience there. What's that? Just a couple shifts back in the day, way back in the day. Co- yeah, college party, et cetera, et cetera. Nothing. You had a college party at Goodwill? Too alarming. No, no. Uh, a lot of college kids, I feel like, go to Goodwill for clothes that they will then wear to a party, though. I feel like he just. Revealed something and then try to move right past it. Well, the were morning you, checkdown's coming up. Were you at a get? Stay on track. Pause here. for a minute if you want to air out some. Uh, You've never worn a hat from Goodwill. No, I've never worn a hat from Goodwill. The only time I bought a, a and and listen, I I have a great appreciation for Goodwill and what it represents and how it helps people out. Uh, I was in Las Vegas. I went out there and had the day. It was like you know what? I think I actually want to go work out, but I didn't bring any clothes for it. So I went to Goodwill and I bought. 
a t-shirt for like a dollar to wear to the gym and i used the lifetime fitness in vegas i went to that and so i i wore that t-shirt to work out in and then basically washed it and took it back but um but i that was not court ordered that i was there no (laughs) do you know the most court ordered can i can i warn you right now of what is absolutely the most depressing I, I can't even, when I'm in a Goodwill store, and I do go to a Goodwill store every once in a while. I was there a few weeks back. There is one area of the Goodwill store that I cannot go towards. I can't do it. The coffee mugs? No. It's the most depressing. It, 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 it makes me almost want to cry. If I, and they're usually on the, it's usually in the back right corner of the store. I know this because I avoid it like the plague. The stuffed animal section at a Goodwill store. A bunch of used, formerly loved, some kid's favorite toy stuffed animals sitting on a shelf. Well, then it'll become another kid's favorite toy. I I think a lot of them probably end up in a farm somewhere, Kevin. Woody and Buzz just hang out in the back. I think the kid's section is one of the more popular sections. Where did Andy go? The stuffed animals, they're they're usually kind of soiled. That's what you need to toss those out. If they're soiled. It's... now that's a rather old hat that you're rocking, right? I, what one am I? I don't remember what I have on. Kansas rock chalk. Uh, this is actually a fairly new hat made to look old. The oldest hat I have is I have a. I'll wear it tomorrow. Tomorrow I'll wear my New York Yankees hat. I've had it since um, I was in college, and I wore it every single day that I was in. Well, no, I wore a Georgia basketball hat most of the days that I was living in New York in the summer that Coolio was the number one artist on MTV. Thinking ahead for Tom Crean. That's right. Uh, Jim asked, not trying to be rude here, but if Shaquille Leonard could attend full practice every day, why can't he play on Sunday? Eight straight days of full practice for Shaq. As we mentioned earlier in the week, if you kind of just boil it down to one thing, doesn't feel totally confident at 80 or 90%. I will say, you know, this time last week, Jake, I said I do not think that Shaquille Leonard will play on Sunday. I am not slamming the door shut on him for this Sunday, though. Not yet. Not yet. We'll see how the next couple days go, but I'm not yet ready to say that between Shaquille the ears Leonard will definitely be inactive. Uh, between the ears, yeah. That we, know would that, be a, we know that phrase all too well, don't we? That would be a right right way to put it. Someone mentioned to me yesterday, though, if Shaq plays Sunday, then he wouldn't play Thursday against Denver. I guess I've never even thought about it. Like the quick turnaround and... Are they even going to practice this next week? Really? No. I mean, yeah. teams just don't practice right. in between the Sunday and Thursday nighter. So I, I've always felt like if he's not going to play Sunday, he's not going to play Thursday because yeah. it's not like he'd have that, okay, this is the final practice to check the final box and all that. But we'll see what happens the next two days, but I think there's a chance. Uh, time, by the way, for a morning check down. The morning check down. Brought to you by Ball State Football. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com. Omaha! On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Uh, we begin with this breaking news this morning. Just came out. Uh, Adam Schefter had this about five minutes ago. Uh, Indianapolis radio host Kevin Bowen admitting to the fact that he was involved in some uh, questionable behavior in college. As a result, community service had him working at a local Goodwill where he might have rung you up if you were looking for a T-shirt for a party or any sort of a masquerade. I was mainly just unloading donations and then slotting them in certain boxes did you enjoy it yeah i, I really did and what was the infraction that led you to this yeah i just cops showed up i decided to run and <laughs> oh boy <laughs> okay. more details please. was there was there a fence hop i'd like to know that 
Uh, I think the the one fence was, had a door that was just kind of a swinging <laughs> gate, and I was like, oh, this is nice. Taste? Were you taste? Uh, I I'd had a drink. Were you the? But uh, were you taste? Oh, taste! I thought you did, did have a taste. Uh, no, I was not taste. Cuffed? Were you cuffed? No. Okay. No, no. no, no. Were you the uh, slowest one? That's why you got caught. No, there were there were several several <laughs> of us. So okay. yeah, it, it was fun. You know what they say? I don't need to outrun the cops. I just need to outrun you guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the slowest one, right? That's right. Uh, last night it was definitely not a slow home run. Aaron Judge with a bullet to, I guess, you call it left center, left yeah, that's field, about right. maybe. Yep. yep. Um, and the guy in the Bo Bichette jersey tried to catch it with his glove, and it fell into the Blue Jays' bullpen. Number 61 for Aaron Judge. That ties the record for American League players. He now has seven games left to try and get 62. He'll get 62, right? Mm-hmm. So, somebody, there's got to be relief, right? Somebody said there's a standing offer for number 62 of $2 million. See, it's ridiculous. Now you're going to have people that are like, can you imagine the fight over that? Yeah. Where are they playing? The final uh, couple series. Let's find out. I don't know. That is a good question. Uh, three games set against the Orioles. Oh, cute though. Uh, at home? At, at, in Yankee Stadium. Then at the Rangers. Oh, there'll be 12 people there. Yeah. I'm, boy, $5 tickets probably. Let's see what else they got going on. Uh, yeah, it looks pretty, I mean, pretty pretty close to home for Can the most Can you imagine part. if you worked in the R- Rangers ticket office right now? Yeah, how three. happy you are about this! <laughs> Last regular season homestand is three games against Baltimore that starts uh, tomorrow through the weekend, and then four games set on the road at the Texas. How, how weird is it going to look in Texas when there are literally eight thousand people at the game and sixty five hundred of them are sitting seating sitting in left field, <laughs> right? And they all have gloves. Correct, left or right, I guess, but I would think left field would be your preference. Uh, Jake, college football this weekend. We've talked about Indiana and Purdue a lot the last couple of days. Notre Dame on a bye week, but you have five games involving ranked teams. I'd say of note, Alabama at Arkansas, Ole Miss hosting Kentucky, and your Clemson Tigers hosting NC State. And I think NC State, this is supposed to be one of their better teams of late. And For sure. A pretty legit team after Clemson survived. NC State with feels kind of like Minnesota, right? Like this year, you're like, whoa. Like it, NC State had a good year last year, too, but... At Clemson, um, right? NC State is kind of like the Michigan State of the ACC. You know? It's a good comparison. Can't sleep on them, but you should probably oh, beat them. But oh, Michigan State stinks today. It is crazy, isn't it? Michigan State's like, they're always either 12-0 and 0 or 4-8. and 8. It's like, what the hell? They never can seem to make up their minds. Uh, Colts, again, the second practice of the week is today. We talked about it earlier. Jim Mersey, extremely, extremely... Uh, I would say he's extremely upset, and we'll talk with Zach Kiefer about it here in about 10 minutes, about the losses to Tennessee last season. Uh, Frank Reich knows the urgency with this team on the schedule. No, there's no doubt they have they have had their way with us for you know, like you said, AC. I mean, um, it's not been it's not been good, uh, especially within your division. So we respect them. They're a good football team. They're well coached. Um, this is going to be a good battle. You know what we have not, in talking about the Colts today, we, we've been on the air now for almost two and a half hours. And really, if you took the uh, over, then you went on this, on how long it took us to finally get to this. I don't know why. This one for Mr. Gilmore. <laughs> People text me like every time. I, I can't get that out of my head now. That's all I hear. Like, sorry. You know, I went to high school with um, Shannon and Stacy Gilmer that were twins. Now, they spell their name G-I-L-M-E-R, mm-hmm. right? But 
Stefan is G I I I I I I in Jim Mercer. This one for Mr. Gilmore. <laughs> I still want to know what those desserts were. I don't understand. They looked what they awful. Were. They didn't look they like did Tim look Tom's. terrible. Like someone wiped their nose and just put it on the table. That's what the green boogers is what they look. It looked like. like actually. It just looked like little things of avocado, right? I mean, is that a dessert? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Poor, poor Alex Stephon Gilmore on the injury report yesterday. He played through that hamstring injury. That was kind of big on Sunday. Of like, Julian Blackman was already lost during the game. All of a sudden, they're like, Stephon Gilmore hamstring. I'm thinking to myself, oh boy, if he has to exit, you could be scrambling back there. Not only did Gilmore stay in the game, but he made the clinching play of the game. Just beautiful technique for that pass deflection that Rodney McLeod recorded for the interception. Can we get one more Mr. Gilmore? This one for Mr. Gilmore. Boy, now we're hammering the over. <laughs> it's three now. So maybe you're in good shape. You think we get anything from him or say wise pregame video knowing uh, what Tennessee means to him? If I will place a good wet bet if we do, I mean there'll be an engine of some sort in the background just blaring. <laughs> well, it, it, it's a home game. With a, it's a pan over to the bus. That won't though. matter. He'll still be at the Indianapolis airport. You're like, fire the engines. I gotta shoot this video. Real the quick. bus has to be in in the shot too. I mean that's that that appears to be the new the new must, right? Is that Jerry's bus? I, I think he's trying to rival Jerry's bus because you notice that all Should of his videos now, at the end, they pan over to show the bus sitting there. It's very odd. Mark, who are you going with tonight? It is a four-point favorite for the Cincinnati Bengals so against the Dolphins. It's climbed then? It's I climbed to four? So. I thought I saw four. Four, three I'm, and a half. I think I'm still taking the Dolphins. Even if Teddy Bridgewater has to go, I still like the. I don't like the Bengals' defense. And I don't think they're going to be able to stop Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, Chase Edmonds. Last I saw, two was going to try and give it a go. Any concern over Miami having to play 90 plays defensively in the 90-degree heat on a short week? I mean, they should be a little more used to the 90-degree weather than most teams, so I think they'll be all right. I think sometimes we weigh too much into how it would affect we as normal people versus elite-level athletes. Sometimes we get all excited about things and they go out and you're like, man, that that wasn't even a storyline at all. Yeah, I think I'm going with Cincinnati. I'll take the Dolphins just because they're – they're the underdogs, and that surprises me. So money-wise, you can make more if the Dolphins win, so I'll take yeah. the Dolphins there. The heat is one thing, but I also think that was a massive game for Miami on Sunday. You know, you get Buffalo in your own building, all that. You know, this is a little bit more of a letdown. And the and the Bengals have been right oh, there for all their games. They've just, I mean, they're right. a heartbreaker against the Jets, and then they're right there with the with the Steelers and everything. So, I mean, they, they're not a bad team. They've is just this the Bengals start. uniforms tonight, is that a debut for them? Or? Yeah. Wide out. Mm-hmm. They look sweet. It looks awesome. And the field. Did you see, um, Mm -hmm. not to be a buzzkill here, speaking of Tigers, um, one of the three, there were Tiger triplets born at the Indianapolis Zoo, and one of them uh, passed. He was born with some sort of an illness and unfortunately did not survive. Really? They just announced that this morning, yeah. Gotcha. (laughs) Tigers are so awesome, man. They're pretty awesome. After Mark just slandered me this week with my Tiger Woods fandom. <laughs> well, we're talking about one again. I wasn't slandering. We're I was talking about cute, cuddly if you animals. The show, not necessarily I was just replaying something you said. Well, the tiger's been known to cuddle. Uh, okay. All right. With a fire hydrant. Pop quiz um, time is here. 317 239 1070. I did inside, Jake. I laughed at the fire hydrant comment. I didn't want to do it outside, though. <laughs> Give us a call for the pop quiz. Again, a five for fiver we had on Tuesday. Scotty J's in studio. I see a little, whoa, four to the five baseball related. Four to the five baseball related. 
for today's pop quiz. We'll see if we can have last one's on the house. Two five for fivers in the same week. Give us a call now, Zach Kiefer. We'll close out the show. Have you studied? Can you handle the pressure? Sharpen your pencils. It's time for the pop quiz with Kevin and Query. Brought to you by Jiffy Lube, Indiana's favorite oil change since 1985. All right, it is pop quiz time. 317-239-1070. Zach Kiefer going to join us here in about five minutes. Jake, number one through eight. Uh, we'll go to number six. Randy. Randy. Hello, how are you doing? Randy doing swell. How, how are you? Oh, not too bad. Randy, you've been known to have some pretty good performances in the pop quiz. Well, I hope uh, this one's another one. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, Randy, would you like for me, that would be Jacob, for Kevin to lead you off with question number one? Uh, we'll go with you, Jake. Okay. Uh, here we go, Randy. There are four Big Ten football teams in this week's AP Top 25. Ohio State, who is clearly the best team in college football, is somehow ranked third. Uh, Michigan is fourth. Name one of the other two Big Ten teams ranked in the top 25. One comes in at number 11. The other comes in at number 21. Let's go Michigan State. One of them's playing Purdue on Saturday. doesn't tell me much. I well, I'll tell you this. I, I mentioned earlier. Randy, I, to, I take back what I said earlier. I grew up with the Gilmer Twins. Their favorite baseball team plays in this city. This one for Mr. Gilmore. <laughs> their favorite, uh, their twins, their favorite baseball team plays in Randy, this state. Randy, we got Zach Kiefer in a Minnesota. Field. Okay. Number two, Aaron Judge hit his American League tying, or she's American League record tying, 61st homer. It took Judge 33 plate appearances after hitting his 60th for Judge to go from 60 to 61. Who needed the fewest plate appearances to go from 60 to 61 homers? Sosa, Bonds, Maris, McGuire. Sosa. Okay, question number three. With the Cardinals clinching the NL Central on Tuesday night, Yadier Molina will reach the postseason for the 13th time in his 19-year career, 19 career. His 102 career postseason games is sixth all-time. Who holds the major league record for most games played in the postseason? Derek Jeter, Jorge Posada, David Justice, or Bernie Williams? I think it's Bernie Williams. Okay. Number four, Eduardo Escobar hit the game-winning RBI single in the 10th as Teron Davenport's Mets knocked off the Marlins 5-4 last night. Escobar drove in all five New York runs. Who was the last Met to drive in five runs in a game, including a walk-off? Pete Alonzo, Bobby Bonilla, Keith Hernandez, or Gary Carter? Oh, Gary Carter. They're paying this guy. This guy. A lot of money, right? Oh, Bobby Bonilla. Okay, last question. Name the Braves pitcher who caught Hank Aaron's 715th home run ball. Tom House. Wow. Randy, did you hear Jake's hint before the break, or did you just know that? I just knew that. Look at that. Impressive. Tom House, now the quarterback guru, right, in the NFL? That is correct. That was impressive. Uh, Here we go. Tom House was correct. Bobby Bonilla was correct. Yes. But then after that, uh, it was Derek Jeter, Mark McGuire, and yes, Minnesota and Penn State are the two teams. You blew it!
Zach Kiefer up next. We've referenced Zach Kiefer's story a few times on today's show. His latest on The Athletic involving some uh, pretty candid Jim Mercer comments in regards to the opponent coming up on Sunday. That would be the Tennessee Titans, who have won four of five against the Colts in the last two AFC South championships. Zach joins us now. Um, Zach, Jim Mercer wasn't messing around when he called his scouts in for a uh, meeting last year after that Halloween loss to Tennessee, was he? Are there any other Jim Irsay comments that are that are not candid? <laughs> I heard your description there. Um, this was yeah, particular candid and maybe a little PG-13. Yeah, a little specific, too, about one particular team. Um, these were before that Halloween game. Before, when it okay. Worked. This was after the 0-3 game, and he called them all in, and he ripped into them. And, in, and he was very, very, very candid with us when we talked about this back in the spring, about how much it just angers him that his team connected over the hump against Tennessee. So I don't think there's very meeting, very many meetings this team has where every coach in the building comes in for a meeting and then the scouts that are in town sit down with the owner during the season. It just doesn't happen. But that's kind of a peek into just how furious this guy is that they cannot beat this Tennessee Titans team. Zach, Jim Mercer, I think most would agree, is a good owner. He's obviously an eccentric personality. He's a kind guy. And I know that he is passionate about football because he's been around it his whole life. That's the good thing. The bad thing sometimes might be that he's been around football and he's passionate about it because he's been around it his whole life. Do you believe that there's ever a time where he starts to toe that line to becoming an overly involved owner? I certainly think it's possible. I think that's a question better answered by Chris Ballard or Frank Reich, but I certainly, and, and obviously, Jake, I'm coming from the side of, you know, I'm writing about this, and this is interesting. And it's interesting when the owner gets out and says what he does about this team that they haven't beaten in the last couple of years. But does this, does this help the team right now? I don't, I don't necessarily think it does. Um, but I think it's, it's a double-edged sword, and, and you've been around this team for a long time as well. It's, it, it's where does the passion stop and, and where does it become too much? And that's a hard question for me to answer because um, I think you'd rather have that than not. I think you'd rather have an owner who's, one, knows what's going on and understands what's going on and isn't just in this for the paycheck. A lot of owners are you know, into other businesses. This is Ursa's life in a lot of ways. Um, but, yeah, I think it's a fair question to ask. And, and look, I mean, you're, you're, I'm peeking ahead a little bit, but when the commanders come into town in a couple of weeks, I think a lot of the focus is going to shift to what Jim Ursa has said publicly about Carson Wentz. And I don't think – Maybe that's a good storyline for the Colts heading into that game. Zach, one more on the these Ursay comments front. And again, you can check out Zach's latest on The Athletic um, with these comments in here about Tennessee and, again, winners of four or five in this series. How much of it, if any at all, do you think comes from him sitting here looking at his franchise in the Frank Reich tenure, which also matches up with the Mike Vrabel tenure, who the Colts mm. did interview in that same hiring cycle, and it's Vrabel's Titans that have won two division titles, made longer playoff runs, have won four or five against the Colts. I think you nailed it. I think, one, I think Jim Mercer really admires Mike Vrabel. He's said this publicly several times, several times. And 
privately as well. I think he really admires the work Mike Vrabel does. And I think he sees, at least in the past, let's, let's not get to this year because we don't know what's going to happen, but I think he sees the Titans as a better version of the Colts. Right? I think Vrabel gets as much out of his roster as any coach in the league, and they have exceeded expectations a lot with that roster. I mean, they have not had an elite quarterback. They've made a run to the AFC title game. They've won the division tight. And really, until Jacksonville does it, you know, they've started well, but until the Colts do it, this division runs through Tennessee. And I don't care that they're 1-2 and two right now. I still think even though they've lost some pieces, you know, these teams are going to have to beat the Titans. And, you know, no Landry and no Luan. And, and obviously, no A.G. Brown. That's going to change things moving forward. But I think, you know, one, I think Chris Ballard was going to hire an offensive coach in 2018. He did hire, you know, he did interview Mike Vrabel. But um, I think Ursay looks at the Titans and sees a better version of his team in the, in the past couple of years. I think that really bothers him. Now, Derrick Henry hit his peak a little bit before Jonathan Taylor, and Taylor is obviously very much in it. Whether Henry is still in it, we'll see throughout this season. But... Um, look, the Colts want to be a, a dogfight, punch-you-in-the-mouth, trenches team, right? At their best, that's what they're going to be right now with this roster as it's currently constructed. And the Titans have simply just beat them at their own game the last couple of years, and I think that really bothers Jim Irsay. Speaking of the construction of the roster, Zach, it's the beginning of the year, and we've talked a lot about it. Chris Ballard said that he wants depth. You know, depth is the thing that he most kind of obsesses over. Uh, now that we are, you know, the season is underway, and there have been some nicks and bruises here and there, the area on this roster that you feel they actually do have the most depth and the area that you might have anticipated depth that now starts to look like maybe it could be exposed. I really like the linebacker group, and I don't want to get everyone all excited, but I did see yesterday when the first-team defense was out there, I saw 53 with that group, and I hadn't seen that the last couple weeks. I'm not making a prediction, but I did see Shaq Leonard out there with that team, and and I thought Zaire Franklin played a terrific game on Sunday. So EJ Speed's been up, he's been down, but he did make the big play in Houston. You know, I do think the linebacker depth is pretty good, and Ballard's been pretty good at that throughout his career. O'Kara K played a lot better on Sunday as well. I I don't know, Jake. Like, you know, I was down on the tight ends big time in in September and August, and and I don't know if that changes a lot based on Sunday. You've got to give Jelani Woods a ton of credit for making those two catches. I mean, what a start for him. He, He stepped up and he won the game when this team needed it, and that's what you want. I don't think he's going to see a huge uptick in snaps. I just don't see that. And I still think the, the loss of Ogletree is bigger than most realize because he was going to get a lot of snaps too. So, you know, Colin Grant's biggest contributions have been on special teams so far. And Moelle Cox has not done very much in the passing game. I know he's a big blocker, but I just don't like that tight end group. So I don't think that answers your question because I'm not really moving in one direction with that group. How do you guys feel about the wide receivers? I thought it was a really good day for Alec Pierce. He did exactly what we watched him do at Cincinnati on tape, those jump balls down the sideline. He gives them a vertical threat. He spreads the field. Um, Ashton Doolin is, is a scrappy receiver who makes plays. Paris Campbell had the third down catch. He needs to do more. Um, but I, Desmond Patman and Michael Strawn, the depth, is, they just haven't done enough consistently. So I'm going to be really, really creative and, and go with the wide receivers because I just don't know if they're going to do it week in and week out. But hope Pierce... That was a good day for him. Yeah, huge, really big. Yeah, honestly, I'd probably decrease Campbell's playing time right now and increase Pierce and Doolin and maybe Strawn. 
um, until Campbell starts to show you a little bit more. And I would agree, Zach. I do think there is at least a chance that Shaquille Leonard gives it a go on Sunday. I would not have said that this time last Thursday. Zach Kiefer from The Athletic is with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Uh, Zach, we've talked, of course, a lot this week about the pass protection issues. If you had to lay the root of it, would you say it's more personnel-based or more communication-based? Well, you ask the question a hundred times, you get a hundred different answers from a hundred different guys. You know, the, the, the vibe I got in the locker room on Sunday, now, that being said, these guys were pumped. They just won a game, and I'm here asking them what the hell's wrong with the line, but I mean, they keep saying communication. They keep saying communication, and I just don't get it with a veteran center and a veteran quarterback. But the vibe and the word I've gotten the last couple of days, and we've heard this in press conferences as well, is it's not just the offensive line. And I actually buy that. It's really hard for us watching the tape to single out whose assignment is what. Like, right? Like, it's, you don't know the plays exactly. Um, I think Taylor missed one. And I think the tight ends haven't done quite as good of a job. And I think the receivers have missed a couple blocks. And those matter. Because I don't know if you guys have felt this watching the games, but you see JT take a run six, seven, eight yards. And last year you feel like he would have gotten that to the house. You just feel like he's really close to busting one. But to do that at the second level, you need that last block. Or you need that last block to hold just one more second. And it feels like the receivers aren't making that last block or whatever it is. And I said this in the spring and I said this in the summer, they're going to miss Zach Pascal in the run game and they're going to miss Jack Doyle in the run game. And those aren't splashy players, but those are the kind of guys that spring those big runs for Taylor. And, and I think Taylor's close, um, but I think the running backs and the receivers bear a little blame in this as well. NFL's week to week, Zach, and the Kansas city game. I think there were a lot of people that felt like the roof would have caved in had they lost that game just based on record. But Tennessee, to me, this is the one, actually, it was great to get that win against Kansas City. But now, all of a sudden, it feels like that pressure on the roof goes right back again because it's a divisional game, and it just feels like with – and I keep harping on – I'm not saying Jacksonville is going to hang around forever, but clearly – the, the division itself, you only have one real throwaway, it seems, at this point. In hell, you couldn't even beat them. But um, <laughs> would you agree that because it's a divisional game, this one, if they don't get it, would be difficult to bounce back from long term? Yeah, this is the can't-lose game. It was never last week. It was never the Chiefs game. It's always been this one. And it's not just Ursay and how he feels. This is the game that tells us that the Colts are different in 2022 than they were in 2021. And I think it, it will be because of the different talent the Titans have, right? I mean, they, they're missing some really good players. But I'm never going to underestimate Mike Grable. He gets the most out of his roster as any coach out there. And they just make games messy. They just make it tough up front. And talking to the players yesterday, I mean, they called it a dog fight. They called it a heavyweight fight. They called it, you know, one player said it might be a 10-7 to 7 game. So this is the game that, that's more important than the standings because if you get behind this – you know, you got one tie and two losses in the division, and you're supposed to win the division. And this team has spent so much energy climbing out of these holes the last couple of years. Um, this is the game. You cannot lose this game at home. You're going to see the Titans again in a couple of weeks down in Nashville. Um, you lose this game, and winning a division championship all but disappears. Again, Zach Kiefer, some great stuff up on the Athletics this week. Not only those Jim Irsay comments, but kind of a cool look at these two teams and their philosophy, a run game focus from both the Colts and Titans. What does that mean for NFL success in the playoffs? A lot of kind of analytical stuff in there from Zach Kiefer on that front. Zach, as always, thank you for the time, man. 
Thanks, guys. You know, it's interesting that he's right about Alec Pierce. I mean, Alec Pierce definitely took a step, right? That I was mean, huge, huge for him. And again, I think Jacob, a lot of it is like it, when you put that deep ball on film, that go ball down the sidelines, and now that corner's thinking, man, he can beat me deep. You see on the game-winning touchdown drive, that route, little comeback route, that's because there's some separation created there because of what you showed a little bit earlier. We can get more into this tomorrow. But to the point about the Kansas City game last week, Jake versus the Tennessee game this week, last week was, I think, more of the emotional jolt you needed. This week is more of the mathematic jolt you need. At some point, you got to win games yeah, in your division. Yeah, that's fair. It's a good way of saying it. Yep. Said it earlier in the show, last seven years, the Colts haven't won a division title. If you look at the, the winners of the South, they've either had five or four division wins in those seasons the Colts can't get to five they've already missed out two chances if they want four they've got to win out did you ever see that Joaquin Phoenix documentary the one where he spoofed himself on Letterman it was called I'm still here and that's the documentary the Colts need to put together against Tennessee right we I'm will still here. hopefully still be here tomorrow at 7 a.m. We'll, we'll find out right give me some picks close things out and uh, I guess introduce the month of October coming up here this weekend see ya